This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a podcast of Rare Antiquities, episode 21. Today on our special episode, we changed the opening credits to uh, have vocals over our theme song. I'm just uh, just kidding, of course. Our one-year anniversary episode, I am your host, Jeff. And I am your co-host, Harry. So, uh, Harry, welcome back to the show. This is one year. Congratulations, man, on sticking with it for so long. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun so far. It's been a fun ride. Um, yeah, it's good. I- I'm surprised we've made it this far, to be quite honest. I think we just kind of started it as an experiment and see if we actually could talk about something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and based on several marathon episodes, it seems like we have too much to talk about. We definitely have too much to talk about in, in a few cases, which I think is, hey, that's what this stuff is here for. So it's great to be able to participate. Keeping with the anniversary theme, today is our general discussion of Star Trek. It is the 50th anniversary of, of Star Trek, and obviously we need to commemorate the occasion with its own uh, Rare Antiquities episode. So, Are you going to give me some Romulan ale to break open? or I was thinking some Klingon blood wine, actually, would be, would be more appropriate. For oh, you. okay. For me? Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, man, no more Romulan ale to be served at diplomatic functions, okay? You know the rules. I, I know the rules very well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, man, if I can just stand on my own feet at the end of this show, then I know I've passed that Klingon ceremony that Avery Brooks had to get through. Oh, man. Well, let me tell you, you should be you should be sitting down now because it's going to be a wild ride. You need those restraints they built into the Enterprise E in uh, Nemesis there. So that's what we're going to need. So before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about the year that was on the, on the show here. So I'm just going to ask you, Harry... You know, first of all, is the show what you thought it would be when you dreamed up the idea? Hard to say. To be honest, when I asked, like, I thought we would just, you know, talk about movies in general. And the idea was go into the forgotten films, the obscure side, you know, movies that and, and pop culture topics that people have long forgotten. And I think that was the main goal. I think on average, we've done that. We've definitely hit some mainstream movies because geez, we're we're sitting down doing this. How can we not talk about some of the big event films that happened over the year, this last year? But I think for the most part, yeah. uh, How about yourself? Yeah, I I mean, honestly, I wasn't sure what to expect when when you first floated the idea. You know, yeah, I kind of thought we we would just kind of be talking about movies and, you know, in general. But when you suggested, you know, the idea of the obscure the overlooked, the forgotten. I mean, in my mind at that point, I I thought, okay, I think, you know, we really got something here. We're touching on something. We'll see if our audience agrees. But in all honesty, yeah, it does. It is kind of what I expected in in a very good way. We actually agree more often than I thought we would because we so often disagree on a lot of things. But <laughs> that, that is true. But I mean, my favorite part of the show, I got lots of favorite parts of the show, but my favorite decision that we've made, and I don't know how we made this decision or if it just sort of happened organically, is the surpri- surprising each other with the pick for next episode. Yeah, I, I love that because, yeah. yeah, we, I think it happened right after the first episode mm-hmm. because um, even before we recorded UHF, 
I think we agreed. Even before we did episode two, we said, what would be the first one we would do? And, you know, I recommended UHF and I floated it by you and you said, yeah, that's a good one to start with. And then I don't know how it evolved beyond there, but I think it's great that we've been just surprising each other after that. I definitely think that's one of the highlights of each episode is I anticipate what you're <laughs> what you're going to bring up. And uh, I think I've made you laugh quite a few times on my picks. So, yeah, I think it's it's a great idea. I'm not sure how many other podcasts out there. I'm sure we're not the only one that does that, but I definitely think that's something unique to our show. At least partially unique. I agree. I, I hope we're the only ones who are who are doing it. And we've copyrighted it everyone, so hands off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or watch out. Radioactive man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Actually, then I have a question for you. Just maybe out of the last year, what has been a fond memory? For you, or maybe not just maybe a fond memory, but then also maybe a favorite episode we've done. And actually, a curious question is your least favorite episode that you think we've done from your perspective? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I think I had the most fun during the Leprechaun episode. I don't know if it's our best episode. It's hard to uh, it's hard to single anything out because let's face it, every episode has been pretty fucking spectacular. Yeah, but you were pretty fucking drunk through that whole thing. I don't know how many bottles mm. of whiskey or how many glasses of whiskey you were polishing off there, but I'm pretty sure I heard that cork being unscrewed and popped yep. like a few times through that episode. Yeah, there's no question that that you did hear that <laughs> more than once during that episode, and you can't blame me. Uh, yeah, I had a blast, and surprise, I remember it as well. Maybe it helps that I was able to listen to the recording after. But that was a lot of fun. Uh, after, as far as our, as a, a low point, I don't know. I, I mean, as I was saying to you before, we definitely got into the weeds and some of the Star Wars stuff quite a bit, uh, which was, but that was a lot of fun too. So as far as just content wise, I don't know. I think we've had pretty worthwhile episodes top to bottom. What about you? Yeah. I've had fun in every episode. There hasn't been an episode where it's been, I've said, oh God, I want this to end. I mean, definitely the Star Wars ones were getting a bit long. Hard for me to nail down a favorite. I mean, the prequel trilogy, I think, definitely was was one. And then I really think we had a really good discussion on the Mosquito Coast. Mm. And surprisingly, Halloween. Yeah, I thought like we really brought a lot to the table in those two episodes. They're really good discussions. And yeah, the prequel trilogy was no surprise. It was a fun one. Surprisingly, I think, even though I haven't listened to it in a while, I think maybe if we're saying what's a duller episode, I think it was, even though it was a fun one to go through, it was the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we pretty much just all agreed on everything, right? It was just a love fest and, you know, there's not much new we can really bring to the table that hasn't already been discussed about and we also haven't listened to on other shows or podcasts or reviews or read on the internet about a billion times already. So mm -hmm. I think that was maybe one we could have probably skipped, but I think just as the trial by fire to prep ourselves for episode seven, I think it was a necessary step. Yeah. Yeah. We had to, we had to do it. Yeah. We had to do it. So the last question I have for you just kind of came to me now, which plot synopsis did you like writing the most? Oh, that's an interesting question. Which plot synopsis did I like writing the most? Oh man. Maybe Raising Arizona. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think Raising Arizona was a good one just because I had a lot of fun just picturing the cage throughout the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself? 
I think I had the most fun writing the Batman v Superman synopsis. To be honest, that one seemed seemed to afford the most opportunity for just poking fun at a at a movie really easily. Like there was a lot of material there to just lay into it. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I really enjoy actually. Even though it is um, a task we have to take on each time, I, I really enjoy thinking about how we're really going to introduce and put together an episode and what are the important points you actually have to talk about in the plot synopsis. Yeah, and yeah. So you have to really have to narrow it down, and I, I enjoy doing it for the ones that I've been doing. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been good. Okay, well, let's get into the show proper here. So we're going to be talking about Star Trek. 50th anniversary this year, so Star Trek first hit the air in... 1966 with the original series. We have five television series, an animated series, 13 features, and more to come. We have the the new Star Trek show, Star Trek Discovery, coming in January. So we have a lot. Is it January that it comes out? Yeah. Are you serious? That quickly? Yeah, it's coming. January. But they, I don't even think they've started filming yet. No, I believe production begins next month. Oh, shit. They haven't even announced the cast yet, so that's interesting. They haven't, and, and that does seem like a pretty quick turnaround time, but that being said, it is a, it's only a 13-episode season. Well, yeah, now that, I mean, now that you, now that you mention it, that is a, that is not a... Uh, not a good sign. <laughs> not necessarily a good sign. Well, I mean, they're, they're in full-on pre-production right now, though, so they have, I'm sure they have... A lot of the scripts ready to go. I'm sure they have a lot of the sets almost completed. Uh, I, I bet the casting is well underway, and we're we're just going to get a whole crew announcement. I think they're holding back a lot of the. I bet a lot of it is set, and they're just holding back a lot of the information to be revealed at the uh, the, the Star Trek convention in in New York in September, which is sort of meant to be the big 50th anniversary convention. So I think we would probably have more news by now if it was if it you know, wasn't for them. Maybe. Comic-Con was just here. I think it was, what, like a few weeks ago? Two, Two weeks three weeks ago. ago? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I thought that would have been the place to really, you know, announce a lot of things and introduce the, a bunch of new fans because what's happening because and get the word of mouth out because Star Trek convention, you're just going to get the hardcore Star Trek fans there. Yeah. Comic-Con's really, I think, where you should have dropped that. But maybe we can have that discussion a little later. Yeah. Let's start off with a big topic that I wanted to ask you, and this is a big question. Star Trek is a lot of things, but Harry, when you think about, you know, your perspective, what is Star Trek to you? Think about, you know, relevance, its influence, its purpose. Well, I mean, you can give the classic generic, and it's true, the description, uh, hope for humanity, like the future of humanity. It's a dream where, you know, all cultures, all, all people, all races, even alien races, are getting to, getting together in a pseudo utopian like future, and you're going out there and exploring the frontier. You know, yep. there's no poverty, there's no issues with education, there's no war, there's no problems with humanity. We have gone past all this petty bullshit and put all those differences aside. And and the word unity can be mentioned there too. That's definitely there. But when I was young, that really wasn't one of the reasons why I got into Trek. You know, you're too young to kind of understand some of those concepts, even though I think that's one of unity and hope and uh, how people have described Trek generically, humanity's potential, right? That's there. But uh, for me, it's more family and adventure because I look at the crews and the one thing, I think one of the strengths of 
each series, no matter which series you like or dislike, right? Let's like focus on the television series because that's where really Trek starts and stops at TV. So let's just ignore the feature films. It's about family, teamwork, and them working together as a team and going off an adventure. And home, which is the Enterprise, because the Enterprise is a character on onto itself. And that's really what struck me when I watched the original series on rerun when I was growing up in the 80s. On Saturday mornings, I would watch, you know, early morning cartoons. Then I around noon, me and my sister and my dad would, every Saturday, we'd be watching Star Trek. And why we were hooked, I mean, yeah, you know, it's a fun adventure. It's a little goofy. William Shatner's Captain Kirk is definitely an awe-inspiring person in several different ways and interpretations. But... I think the strength of the relationships between the crew, especially between him, Bones, and Spock, and, and them, you know, working together to solve problems, that really struck home for me. And that just got even more stronger when TNG came, when DS9 came, and I guess the other series. The same can be said. So I think that's where I'd leave it off there is the concepts of family and teamwork. I think I, I would agree with a lot of that. I never really thought about the teamwork aspect, even though, you know, you think about it, it is, it's quite prevalent in the original series and in uh, The Next Generation. I was thinking about, you know, the original series influence on my childhood and my outlook on life. Uh, as, you know, same as you, I caught the reruns through the, through the 80s. My mom is a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, so, she, you know, she would have watched it when it was when, she, when it was originally on. And then when the when the reruns came on, she was all it was always on if Star Trek. If those reruns Star Trek on. My mom had it on there and, and my brother and I were planted in front of the TV watching that. And I think that watching as an adult, you can pick some you can poke some holes in, in some of these concepts that I'm going to talk about. But I think that Star Trek is the reason why I was so surprised as an adolescent and as a young adult that we still had things like sexism, racism, the idea that, you know, you could go into any workplace and, and women would make less money than the, than their male counterparts for the same job, or that somebody might not hire somebody else because he's black or because he's gay or for any other reason. Star Trek is the reason why those things surprised me as I started to go more out into the world beyond just being a kid and going to school and stuff like that. Never would have occurred to me that those things were still problems. So then that, Gene Roddenberry, he succeeded in enlightening you. In that sense, I mean, I wouldn't even call it enlightening. It was just how it was. No, it was just how it was. And yeah. I, I fully understand, and that's it, and I can relate 100%. But for me, I wouldn't say, you know, the way I'm interpreting your statement is that you watch Star Trek and then you're saying, why are you questioning? Why isn't it like that in the real world? Well, I, you're shocked that it's not like that in the real world. Because I re remember, I remember I'm, I'm coming from a minority. I have a minority yep. background. So for me, it's a little different. And yep. that's why the concept of hope, the concept of peace and working together, the hope that we will put aside petty differences and there will be no such thing as racism. Yeah. Humanity as a whole will just group together and unite together and, and move forward and conquer anything that's in its path. I wasn't aware that we still had these problems when I was a kid. See, that's where the difference is, because yeah, I was aware. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, obviously, we're coming from, from different places. So when I realized that we hadn't gotten over these things, I was so disappointed. Mm. I was surprised and disappointed in, I guess, humanity. I mean, obviously, not everybody, lots of people are are not 
prejudiced and and lots of people are forward thinking and i and i was disappointed that it wasn't everybody i thought it i thought we were already there and obviously we are we are not uh, but i think that was the strongest influence that it had on on me larger than that you know what is star trek i mean that's uh maybe it's like I'll... answering the question what is life what yeah. is the meaning of life yeah exactly very difficult yeah, yeah it's very sure. difficult because there's so many answers there's not yeah. one that's right there's not one that's wrong yeah, I, and I kind of wanted to just like kind of get that out there to get some perspective on how ingrained it is in in us. I know it's a big important piece of, for you, and it's a big important piece of my life as well. It's an important piece for all of humanity, as it is anyways, because you know we don't have to get it into the into the details. But of course, you know everybody knows what the influence of the '60s show was for so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about racial relations, sexual relations, even just concepts on war the impact it has on people and then also technology right and influencing people to go into certain careers i mean this has inspired people to create you know cds or cell phones or trying to create it people are still trying to create tricorders and they're almost there these have influenced people to go into certain fields of study people to be inspired to be astronauts or doctors or engineers so this has impacted everybody who is watching the show when they were young mm-hmm. oh absolutely any anybody who is, you know, in filmmaking or in engineering or in aeronautics or computer science that was alive in the 60s, I'd say good chance that they're there and Star Trek had an influence. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say that easily. It's unique. Nobody joined the CIA because of watching James Bond. At least I don't think so. I'm sure you probably had some futile attempts of some morons who thought they could do it and it'd be cool. Just like I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people who said, oh, I like Indiana Jones. Let me take some archaeology classes. I'm going to be an archaeologist. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who's taken an archaeology class is like, I I like Indiana Jones. Yeah. (laughs) I guarantee it. (laughs) So uh, here's a question for you. So talking about the influence that Star Trek has had on so many people, we have five Star Trek series and, uh, and an animated series to pull from. Do you think the intended audience is the same for each of the different series? Oh, that's tough. That's a tough call. I would say for between the original trilogy, I mean, original trilogy, fuck, crossing the streams again, Yeah, uh, the original series and the next gen, I would say that's the same target audience, 100%. Yeah. Except, you know, trying to also bring in a new generation of fans, right? But the the hook was... It was going to be the same, just with a new crew. And they even started copying episodes, right? It was the same style of show. And until it got a little bit later on and found a little bit more of its wings, TNG really started to... Uh, it, the concept was just an updated version of the original series. But I think when you get to DS9, I think that's where things are get a little different. And I think you might have a different target audience, at least maybe not on the first concept, but a little bit, little bit later. Yeah. So who do you think, I mean, who are they trying to appeal to instead of, or in addition to the, obviously they want to pull back the same fans, but is Deep Space Nine going for a broader appeal or what, or or a narrower one than the original series and the next generation? It's hard to say because, I mean, the success of DS9 from a, what do I say, a Nielsen standpoint isn't there, it wasn't there. So then obviously you can say, you can argue one way it was for a narrow, narrow audience, but I think it was for, it was for a niche yeah. a- and they accomplished it and they accomplished it so well. And I don't want to give my thoughts away, but that, that's my favorite series out of yeah. all of them. 
Right? Well, you just gave your thoughts away. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> want to give it away, but I gave it away. Voyager, on the other hand, uh, goes back to the same same tropes as the, the original series in TNG. Enterprise, I think, might have been the one that really was trying to target, reach out to a different type of audience. I think so. But I yeah. think all the other shows were trying to reach the same audience. Who was that? Original Trek fans, intellects, educated people, but it wasn't a generic mass audience because they weren't dumbing shit down. Right. right? They were yeah. talking, attacking, and we talked about this numerous times on a podcast, you know, social commentary. So they're right. getting into topics of discussion, analyzing it. I don't think they're going into the depths that you think they're going. Still broad strokes to an extent. The original series might be a little different where I think they're going into it really deeply. But I think TNG onwards were a little bit more broader, but still trying to do the same thing. Yeah. But I mean, when you get to Enterprise, I think then you're trying to get into more of a mainstream pop culture feel. At least that was their attempt. For what whatever reason, it didn't work. Maybe because of Trek burnout at the time. And maybe it was too ahead of its time. And now you look at New Trek, the, the features, the reboot, and it's a completely different audience that they're targeting. Massively different. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. We can get to the new movies or, or not if we decide. The Star Trek Enterprise seemed to be the first one that was trying to branch out into a, a real mainstream pop culture audience, not just Star Trek yeah, fans. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, clearly it did. And, and they weren't entirely successful. In I, fact, yeah. they weren't really successful at getting a broader audience and they i think I mean, they alienated a, some of the core fan base i think that was because you know again we can get into it later or now as i mentioned before you have burnout it was just too soon too much too soon and you know the casting was just all wrong and i think they really dropped the ball on that in my opinion and i think that's part of its downfall yeah. Well, we can, I mean, we can do a deep dive into Enterprise here if we if we want, but let's maybe take a bit of a step back here. You've already said that Deep Space Nine is your favorite. Why don't you talk a little bit about what makes it your favorite Star Trek series? One, because it's so different than what came before. So, I mean, it, in the first season was horrible because it was exactly like TNG's first season, except it was on just on a space station and he had a black commander instead of a bald white Englishman captain, right? So, yeah. uh, I mean, like being progressive again, which is... Uh, Except a he was only a commander, which was a first. Which was a first and strange. I'm pretty sure it was racism and the worry, the fear of backlash, even in the 80s what was or 90s. When was this released? Early 90s? Uh, this would have been 1990... I think it was, uh, it premiered in January of 93, I think. Yeah, see, it's still disappointing because there's that fear of making him a captain right off the bat. It's a black man. Yeah. Eventually, even though a few seasons in, he became captain, rightfully so, but strange that he did not start off that way. Yeah. And I Uh, thought that was really weird when it did start. Like, I remember watching it, I'm like, well, wait, how come he's not a captain? He's only a commander? Like, why, who's the captain? Like, who's in charge? You, You wouldn't find that shit now. No, you wouldn't. Even after, I mean, Voyager onwards, you wouldn't find that shit happen again. Yeah. So I think they learned their lesson pretty fast there. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably a studio worry or something like that. They, you know, didn't want to alienate potentially racist Star Trek fans. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't want to push the envelope too far too soon or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think you understand your core audience, you dumbasses, right? Yeah. So, but you know, why I like DS9 again, very hard to articulate because there's so much about it. But I think because it was so different than what came before the original series in TNG was more about hope and the idea that humanity and Starfleet was perfect couldn't make any mistakes like real mistakes yeah they didn't explore any of the topics of humanity that are a little darker like starfleet can do no wrong and even though i think the feature films uh even with the original series cast and the tng cast explored some of those concepts in the features very briefly by ds9 got into the nitty-gritty of that stuff very quickly like a couple seasons in and then because it was a more episodic Instead of individual standalone episodes, that sets itself apart from predecessors. And it was something that really wasn't seen too often at the time. I mean, you had two-parters, you had three-parters and TV shows and stuff like that and cliffhangers, which were carried over to the beginning of the following season. And most TV shows were like that. But continuous story arcs that were happening throughout season, season to season, I think Maybe while it might have, DS9 wasn't the first show ever to do it, it was the first Star Trek show to do it. And that was why it was so different and so good. And they really, the writing was just so good. And the cast was very good too. It may not be my favorite cast, but still a very strong cast. Yeah, it was very much a writer's show. Yes. And I know that a lot of the writers who started out on the next generation and helped develop deep space nine they were frustrated by some of the constraints placed on them in the you know in the star trek universe or in the next generation universe because you know they couldn't do serialized storytelling they couldn't leave the characters in one place at the end of an episode and then start with them in the same place they kind of had to hit the reset button for every episode because for syndication or for people who don't necessarily catch every episode to bring in people who haven't seen any episodes so they could jump in at any point. Very frustrating for, and I, I know this just from watching documentaries and reading behind the scenes stuff, the writers were very frustrated with that aspect of the next generation. And, and then after Gene Roddenberry's death, they were really able to sink their teeth into deeper material with, with Deep Space Nine. And it's a good thing and they had uh, that show had excellent, excellent writing, which is a good thing because the cast is a little uneven just as far if we're talking about acting ability. Everybody did a pretty good job with what they were given, but the overall talent isn't quite there. I mean, I think that that's interesting. That's interesting that you mentioned that. I think that's a very strong cast. I find as a group, they're just as strong as TNG. Yeah, it's hard. It's really it's, difficult to make comparisons because it's so... But I mean, like, no one's going to beat Patrick Stewart in the acting category. Well, no, I mean, that's... I mean, so we know no, that. So No. But, I mean, even though Avery Brooks is, like, one crazy SOB now, I thought he did a, you know, hats off to him through the show. He did a great job. That's my it, opinion. I don't think he did a, a, a poor job at, at all. He's got some idiosyncrasies to him that don't really stand out a little bit for me, I mean, you know, William Shatner has some idiosyncrasies to his performance, but they, for me, they they work for the character. Where, but it's Avery also Brooks, having some fun too. Like the guys, he's letting loose. You can look at, it, and this is going to be blasphemy. Maybe I'm going to be hunted down by Trekkies, but Picard was a stuffy character. He was a stuffy character, and it yeah. was great. Yeah, it was so yeah. different than Kirk. 
And I love Picard, probably one of my favorite Star Trek characters. But you needed something different. And oh, I yeah. think you needed someone who had some idiosyncrasies that can, you know, bring another layer out that's needed. A little I more pref- of a bombastic uh, yeah. type of character. I agree with you on, on some of those points. Uh, I prefer his performance as something that's totally wooden. And, and for the most part, I do enjoy him. I just don't... It's. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. I I would have liked somebody with a little bit more skill in that role, especially following Patrick Stewart. I know you need to do it totally different, but some more skill would have been. I would have appreciated that. I I my favorite actor on that show, the guy who I thought the, had the most ability, is Cole Meany, and he's. I thought he was fantastic as O'Brien through the through the whole series, and I'm you know, going back to Next Generation. He's good, but he just didn't have a lot to do. He does not have a lot to do. His character is very so one-dimensional. He, he doesn't care. Yeah, he's one-dimensional. But that's the character, not... Like, I, I mean, think... I, he brought as much as he could to that character who was really horribly underwritten. Yeah, and this is going to turn into a Deep Space Nine podcast uh, show. But one of the other things about DS9 that's really, really excellent and done and well-written, and we're talking about actresses and characters, they had uh, the girl, I think it was Nana Visitor, she did a remarkable job playing Norris. I thought so. Again, I think it's a strong female character, and I think she did a remarkable job through the entire the entire run. And I think she had a, a very good arc, starting from someone who is just angry and doesn't want Starfleet's presence there, and she's just kind of aggressive and adversarial to everybody she sees. And she had a great arc through the entire show. That's my opinion. Yeah, she did have a really good arc. You're, wow. you're absolutely right there. And that's uh, different than the other shows because the female characters in the other shows, obviously, even though Uhura just being on the bridge, being a black woman on a TV show was groundbreaking in the yeah. 60s. Good for yeah. her, but she didn't do anything. Well, she was still basically the secretary, though. She was answering the phone. So we know that. So yeah. we give her the credit that her credit is due for that time. But then, yeah. and the show really was only about Kirk, Spock, and Bones, even though there were B characters on yeah. the bridge. Yeah, even though we love it, yeah, it wouldn't matter what she did. But yeah. let's focus on TNG. And I thought the female characters on that show were good, but they were not super progressive. They're not where they should have been. They're slightly underrepresented. Yeah, well, I, I agree. That's a top, actually, that that's show. a topic I wanted to come back to in a bit. So, so let's. That's, that's why I wanted to point out that's another strength yeah. of DS9. You're right. I, I thought that she had an excellent arc. I found it's, I guess you put it in a little bit more context. I saw in, in that character in Kira, some of the things that started that plagued the latter two series, which was sometimes anger is substituted for any, you know, when I don't know what feeling to portray on camera, I'm just going to act angry. And, and sometimes that's the writing as well, but we could talk about that later, but no question her arc was fantastic. And part of that as well is the absolutely unbelievable recurring characters that Deep Space Nine gave us. Oh, yes. Uh, Gul Dukat. Best villain on the TV shows, hands down. Uh, yeah, I guess you could make that argument. Uh, uh, Garrick, uh, another one yeah. of my favorites. Even even that, who was that other Gull who used to be one of uh, Dukat's flunkies? Oh, I can't remember the name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, even yeah, he, he just... turned into a hero at the end. He did, yeah. He was such a smarmy guy. Uh, Damar. Damar. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> Great. Kirk. Great character. Even though, even though it's not much of an arc, but it's an arc. And to take 
a no-name character in this show who's a bad guy and turn him into some a, more of a slightly more sympathetic character in such a short time span. Yeah. That's great writing. Oh, absolutely great writing and very ballsy. Again, because they couldn't they they just couldn't do that on the next generation. They they couldn't carry those arcs forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kudos to the writers there. I mean, that yeah, I'm I'm glad they had the courage to do it. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't resonate all that well with audiences. As you said, the ratings weren't weren't quite there. I think the ratings were there. I mean, obviously they weren't TNG level, but um, they were there to get them through the seven seasons and get syndication and all that stuff. But um, I think if that show was released now, obviously with modernized um, budget and spe- special effects and all that stuff, I think it would be very highly successful. Yeah, I think it's a good chance that it that it would be that successful because serialized storytelling is so normal now. Yes. And I think that's what discovery is going to be no matter what the format is. If it's going to be in like American horror story style, it's going to be uh one season. It's about a crew or a story. The next season's about another thing. Or if it's just going to be this one crew and one ship throughout all the seasons, uh, whatever format it's going to be, it's going to definitely be serialized continual arc storytelling and i think they already confirmed that right they said it's going to be like a novel or something is what brian that's, fuller said and... that's correct that's what that's what he said is that it's uh they're going to be like telling a a novel over the course of a of a season there which and fuller was one of the better writers i don't i think he he had a couple of ds9 episodes oh i didn't know that he uh, wrote on ds9 oh he's an old trek guy yeah he he wrote a couple episodes for deep space nine and he wrote some of the actually good episodes of Star Trek Voyager. But his shit's dark. I mean, now this is the the dangerous direction. Things don't necessarily always have to be dark. No, I agree. But not dark in the sort of conventional sense, but very... Adult. Very adult and very complex. And that's that's what you need. That's who he is. And, got, yeah, and- it's got to be smart, complex, solid storytelling. Yeah, and, and I, you need that kind of picture that we talked about with the prequel trilogy. If George just sat down, planned the whole thing out, each script, without writing page by page dialogue, if he just knew the exact whole thing instead of a broad story, very broad strokes, it would have been amazing. But he didn't do that. But that's what they need to do here for this show. Yeah. Whether it's one season long or multiple seasons long stories, continuous storytelling. But I think they need to really hammer down a lot of the detail to make it work. Because the danger here is, is if we, I don't know, maybe it's too early to talk about it in the show, but if Discovery does not work, Trek's in trouble. I absolutely agree. Trek is in trouble if Discovery does not work. And maybe we can talk a little bit about this now since we are talking about it now. I'm a little bit, I'm not worried about the talent that's involved because again, uh, Brian Fuller, I don't know know how familiar you are with his work. Again, he, he has worked on Star Trek. He's very offbeat. He's very creative. He can do a lot of different styles. I mean, he he did this show a few years ago called Pushing Daisies. I don't know if you ever saw it. Never saw it, but I heard about it. And it was really creative, but it was it was way too off the wall. It was never going to. I'm surprised it made it on the air in the first place. Far far too advanced for network television. Mm-hmm. You need to have a touch of mainstream in it no matter what because even Trekkie – and you still even have to have that elements of old school Trek, something that's very familiar. You have to be familiar, but you still have to spread your wings and be something different. 
otherwise you're in trouble. And I think we're going to get something different while still being Star Trek. The only thing I'm worried, I'm worried about the network hamstringing it by putting it on that stupid on-demand service that... Well, I think that's a separate discussion. Maybe let's save that for the end. Maybe let's save Discovery for, for the end here. We talked about DS9. I said that's my favorite show. Not to spend too much time on. Let's still go on the show. What's your favorite? Well, my favorite is is uh, Next Generation. Hmm. And why is that? Now I know the cast is unbeatable as, yeah. an, as an ensemble. Yeah, you know it's hard for me to argue, especially with Patrick Stewart leading the way. But yeah. why is it your favorite? Tell me why. Beyond the cast, it, it'd be hard. I guess I could go into all the intellectual reasons. It is the one that resonates with me emotionally. I feel that show when I watch it. It gets right in into my heart, into my bloodstream. It is so pervasive in my being. It it just hooks up to me emotionally. And, you know, it's funny. I feel the same way when it comes to the original series. Mm. Because that, what if we want to just say what your personal connection to is with Star Trek, for me, it will always be the original series. Even though it's hokey and corny, and many episodes are still very hard to get through if you come back and watch it today. But the spirit of Star Trek really hasn't been... It is there. There's a magic to that show that's beyond the corny, cheesy factor. There is something very special about the original series that still resonates with me today Yeah, when I watch that show. And I really think it's, you know, between Spock, like Spock and Kirk and Bones, I mean, there is no relationship in Trek that is as strong as those three. But anyways, that's just me. Mm-hmm. But uh, let, let's go back to the TNG. I mean, like, so like I say, obviously I have that, the emotional connection is there. I love more of the characters on, on the next generation than on any of the other series. There are characters from every series that I love, but okay. I mean, Captain Picard, what do you say? I mean, it's Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. That's all you need to say. It's fucking unbelievable. Even it it is, uh, even though I still take Captain Kirk, Shatner's Captain Kirk. I'd rather serve under Picard. And I admire Picard more as an intellectual, but for me, it's still about the captain. It's still Captain Kirk. Well, no, I mean that's fair enough. It's not really even an argument that you could have. You know, who's like, are we arguing who's better? I mean, <laughs> this is the first argument that happened on the internet. We're what, like, how many years late since the internet started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, you're late to the party, guys. <laughs> Shit, who's better, Captain Picard or Captain Kirk? Fuck. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not an argument that you can even have. I mean... Uh, but I love them both. Oh, yeah, of How course. You there, you, you really do have to hand it to Patrick Stewart. I, I'm i of the opinion that without his performance, what he was able to bring to it and the way he was able to elevate everybody else around him, yeah, that show next generation, that it might great. not have made it out of season two. Yeah, I think so. Season two, maybe season three. I think season three is really where it got its footing. Well, it got and, its footing. And with him. I think he was still a little wonky in season two as well he was still stuffy i, I kind of want to talk about season two of next generation on its own as a separate topic to be honest but i love data i mean brent spiner was he brent spiner is not a very good actor but as data he he nailed it he nailed it he yeah. was so good as data lavar burton is i mean i love jordy he's a bit of a punchline can only score on the holodeck. <laughs> 
you know, but <laughs> God, yeah. God damn if you don't love the sum of it, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I, instead of that, instead of the punchline, I just love how, you know, cool it leak, you know, yeah. his cool it leak expression is like, Shield Generator's been hit. He's, he's the Ripley of the TNG cast, right? So I love how, how he... How do you not like him? The, the, you know, it's got to like do the Indiana Jones roll under the... Yeah, under the, uh, time to roll. Oh, that. so, that's so, what I think. I, I hate to say it, but when I think of Jordy, that's what I think about. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, Michael Michael Dorn. I love Michael Dorn oh, as okay. Corp. Let's talk about Michael Dorn for a second. Okay, let's talk about Michael Dorn. Go for it. Just a quick thing. Aside from Captain Kirk and Captain Picard, Worf is my third favorite character. I think he has overall, not just because he has appeared in the most Trek, so he gets that advantage, but... I think his storylines have been the most interesting, and I think he could be the most well-written character out of all of the characters on any show. That's my opinion. That is an interesting observation because, I mean, I loved his character as well. I love Michael Dorn. I thought he did a, f- a fantastic job. I-, I love how obtuse he could be at times, how thick he could be at times well and... really he was there he was the arnold schwarzenegger of the tng cast right he yeah was there with the one-liners yeah but and but then initially but then and he still was throughout the whole thing and you can even argue in the movies he was really there just for the punchlines well in the movies he was for sure and they right. he was very underwritten for a long time but he i remember i've listened to a couple of interviews with with michael dorn and he said that you know, they didn't give him anything to do at the start. He was just there to be the Klingon on the bridge. So he had to kind of do his, he had to bring whatever he could to the one line he had or the one growl or scowl or sideways glance. He had to, he had to bring all of that. He was, he was the most underwritten character. He was underwritten in the first few episodes uh, or in the maybe I guess first season because everybody was, but I just think his complete arc from then all the way to the end of DS9. It's quite amazing. That's just Well, pretty... they, I mean, look at how many years that's been. That they had, yeah, but yeah, I mean, even, like, even if you wanted to just narrow it down to TNG, you could, almost, with the exception of the maybe a couple of Borg episodes, pretty much Worf had all the major interesting storylines. He might have not had the most... He had the arc, yeah. He had the arcs. on stuff. Yeah, and... he had the arcs. He had the interesting stuff happen to him continuously. I mean, every character had their moments. And yes, Picard's, I mean, Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard's the lead. So I'd say individual standalone episodes, I mean, in terms of acting and performance, you probably can't get better than Patrick Stewart in some of his episodes. But I think overall, like the writing for the character, because really Picard's not really allowed to grow too much. That's That's kind of the point. The same thing with Captain Kirk. He can't grow too much. After Worf, let me first get your thoughts on Worf here. Do you agree with that sentiment? Even if you just want to focus only on TNG. His arcs on TNG are great. I I loved his I loved his storyline on on TNG, and I actually I, I did love most most of it on Deep Space Nine. The the Jedzia Dax romance didn't really do it for me. I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. I had some great episodes there, but that's just me. Uh, no, I think there are good episodes. I think there are great episodes in there as well with those with the two as a relationship. But I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of Dax. That's uh, the character. I like Dax. Yeah, the character was fine. What's her name? Terry Farrell, I think, is the uh, is her name. I didn't care for her performance all the time. She she wasn't bad, but she was too uneven. I think they struggled with some chemistry sometimes. Uh, she and Michael Doran there, so that might have been part of it. But Worf's arc, actually, I'll tell you this: Worf's his brother's arc was 
also really good and and heartbreaking how they ended his yeah. uh his brothers great, it was there. a great episode great episode there yeah it was heartbreaking i remember my wife watched that she was very sad my wife loves star trek as well i mean she's not a diehard but she's seen pretty much everything trek up to probably the end of ds9 i don't know if she's seen anything beyond ds9 but she was sad after that episode. I remember her watching that for the first time. Yeah. Well, I got to be careful when that episode comes on in our house because I got to, my girlfriend's the same with that episode. You got to get the Kleenex out because that one hits you in the feels for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Now we're talking about characters and their arcs. I want to just kind of go back a little bit to Cisco because one of the strengths of that character that was so different than the other two captains and the captains that followed is that he was a family man. He was a father. Yep. Yeah, And I really think one of the strengths of the character and that show, even though it wasn't a focus, I honestly felt a true chemistry, closeness, and bond between him and Jake mm. as father and son. And some people that won't resonate too, because maybe it resonated to me even before I was a parent. But I can tell you, I, I haven't even seen DS9 since I've, my kids have been born, but that is a strength of that character and a strength of that series. I feel as a group, this no, it's not just Cisco and Jake, but I think as a group, the DS9 cast is closer than they are in the other shows. And I think that's another one of their strengths. Even though I think there might have been some friction on the sets, I think there was um reading stuff behind the scenes. I think, you know, there was maybe uh, two groups of, you know, friends on set, but I think they put those differences aside. And when they collaborated with each other, everybody was pretty close with each other. I mean, obviously with the exception of Quark, because he's the outsider and he's kind of like the schemy little weasel on the side. So you're only going to get as close to the, him with the main crew as you're you're going to get. But I think as a whole, I think that's one of the strengths of DS9 as well, going back to my original and why I like that show. Because there's only so much closeness you're going to get to on TNG. I think me, you know, Riker's pretty close with everybody, but you know, Data's kind of on his own, but he's okay with Jordy. Picard's not really close with anybody, even though he has kind of a friendship with Will Riker. But I don't really get that feeling of closeness, except Dr. Crusher and Troy. They have some a good relationship with each other, a good rapport, but they have individual relationships. I think there's more of a group ensemble relationship is a little stronger on DS9 than on DNG. Uh, that's, I disagree. I don't feel that on... Deep Space Nine, I, I feel the uh, almost exact opposite where they had their individual relationships and they had more trouble relating as a team. I get much more of the team closeness from the Next Generation cast. Really? I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say the other way. That's just me. I will say, though, since you brought up the father-son dynamic, those two actors played off really well. They had great chemistry. Yeah, amazing chemistry. And I they- bought that relationship. No oh, problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And some of the greater episodes of, of DS9 definitely are between dealing with the father-son relationship. Yeah, yeah. The one where Jake is, like, he gets old and he's yeah. the right oh, the that's future. a great episode. Very good episode. Yeah, very powerful. Good for, uh, uh, what's the, who's the actor that played him? Sirik Lofton. Right, right. He was really good. He was good. Know? Even though the he, character was kind of dumb. Yeah, he was just kind of like, I'm just going to stay here and report on the war while everybody yeah. retreats. I mean, that storyline was stupid. He had a couple of dumb moments, but I liked how he wasn't necessarily always a strong character. I mean, he was thrust into the yes. Remember, There was a couple of episodes where he was thrust into the middle of a battle and he was scared. Yeah. 
running away from everything. He wasn't as he wanted to be brave like everybody else around him, like all those starfleet people and his dad, but he wasn't. You get those kind of explorations on DS9 that I don't see anywhere else. No, you would never get on Next Generation. And I, that's another, that is a really good episode. You're right, because he, he is so scared in that episode and he's so ashamed of himself for being a coward. Yeah. And I was, it's so, and he does such a good job. Oh, and, and man, you're getting me. I gotta. Yeah. I think I'm gonna pop in a uh, DS9 episode after I'm done watching this. Well, thing. I'm actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start a, another run of DS9. I think from the top because we're just about done. We're just finishing our our latest run through of the next generation pretty quick here. So we're gonna just jump into Deep Space Nine. So uh, how about else? Uh, tell me, tell me more about your love of TNG outside of the ensemble. What what is its strength? Well, it's great. I think it elevates what Star Trek is all about. We sort of touched on what Star Trek, you know, kind of means to us. The hope that we can be better. And sometimes it's even the hope that we can be better, even when we know right now that we're not, or even if we think that we can't, you know, you can you can kind of rise above it. There's so many examples of that. And that's that's hard to put your finger on, but an example that I come back to from time to time is uh, the the third season episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, mm. and the whole universe, you know, we have an alternate timeline, everything's gone to shit, they're in the middle of a war, and it's like all they, all they needed was a hint that things could be better, that things should be better. And they were ready to fight and to die for that concept. No, that's that's great. And that ties back into what you said you pretty much liked most about Star Trek. Yeah. And I liked some of the themes that they explored on Next Generation. A lot of, we got a lot of what it means to be human through Data's journey through uh, through Next Generation. I thought his arc yeah. was pretty good. I mean. I mean, Measure of a Man is just, oh, oh God, God. One of the best episodes of tv i've ever seen oh yeah oh forget about it that's i mean yeah measure of a man such a good episode and it's surprising they were able to pack all of that into you know 43 minutes or whatever their journey was just so you get the adventure that that the original series pioneered and i love that they it's hard to explain i mean there's so much that you know, sometimes it went their way. Sometimes it didn't. I, I'm thinking of the episode. I believe it's called First Contact, and they make first contact with that species that's just on the verge of breaking the warp barrier. Yeah. But there's political strife there. There's a um, what seems to be a sort of a conservative movement. People yeah. were thinking they were moving too far too quickly. And then yeah, they were kind of like people were getting hurt, and yeah, the people were you know it's almost like undiscovered country. People are frightened of change, right? They're not right. Exactly. They're not ready. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's, it's a great concept. It's a great concept. And what I loved about it, how that episode played out, I think that if we had seen that episode on the original series, well, Captain Kirk, Kirk would have grabbed that society kicking and screaming into, you know, the the warp-enabled future filled with aliens and progressive federations and, and so forth. No, what he would have done is he would have just given a speech at the end about the he, Constitution. Yes, he would have. <laughs> and he would, like, then leave... And say, then it's up to you. Yeah, he he would probably have... I don't know if he'd take him kicking I, and screaming, I but he... I think he, he would, because he often would decide what was right. And he definitely would have banged that 
Oh yeah, Best Doctor for sure. That's a staple of the time. So yeah, I can't, of course. I can't. Oh, yeah. I, that, no, no. that was every TV show at the time. No, no, no. I'm I'm praising him for it. <laughs> uh, okay, at least we're clear. Wait, but what? Yeah, of course. No, I I mean, I are you kidding? I'm jealous. Uh, what I'm saying, but so about the episode, the the Next Generation episode is that at the end when they decide not to, when the leader of the world, the prime minister there, tells Picard. You know, no, we're we're not ready. We're we're not going to do this yet. And they say okay, and they leave. I love that outcome because it wasn't the resolution that I, I was expecting watching it as as the audience. But it also shows how progressive the Federation is. So even though you know we're promoting all of the rights that we have, and we'll wait for you. Yeah, we're not going to force you to do anything. Like you're going to go in your own time. You say no. Okay, yeah, we'll be here when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that that outcome. thought that was fantastic. And I, I, I love those explorations into humanity, into the ideas of what we can be. Again, that just connects with me emotionally. And, and that's, I mean, that's, the, you know, those are the examples of why it's my favorite. Okay, no, that's good. So how about, let's maybe have a quick talk about, uh, so it doesn't get too long, maybe how about Voyager and Enterprise? What are your thoughts on on those two shows then? Oh, God. I mean, Voyager, both shows are shame because they're such wastes of excellent ideas. Love the concept for Star Trek Voyager. On the other side of the galaxy, no contact with the Federation. I thought that was just a magnificent idea. You know, it's kind of go, it was sort of trying to go back to some of the original Star Trek ideas of exploration and the unknown with the sensibilities of Deep Space Nine in the sense that it's a little bit darker, more conflict within our principal characters, maybe have some opportunity for for some more drama just within the crew. Great concepts there. And unfortunately, the writing was bad, just straight up. All around, not good writing. I don't know that I could say it was poorly cast necessarily, or if it was the writing. I mean, I think it's a combo of both. But I mean, they, yeah. there's definitely the ensemble was not there, right? No, no so chemistry. E- even if you have, yeah, no chemistry. Even though you probably, I didn't mind Kate Mulgrew as um, Catherine Janeway. I think she did a good job. You know, she was tough, but she was still feminine, so she didn't lose that aspect of herself so i thought it was a good balance but the rest of the crew was very hit and miss with each character yeah there's not a even she's not perfect like the the captain but you know i think universally i think maybe most people like the doctor the most and you know he's definitely interesting but even then i'm still not sold on any character as a whole yeah, yeah. and there's good episodes for each character well, there are there are good episodes on the on the on, series on the show. There's definitely many many episodes that are good to average. Maybe a few that are very excellent, like they're up there with the best of Trek. But overall, it's just not strong enough. It's not the the performances are very poor. The characters are not are are all underwritten. I I like the Doctor as well. I I think he if I had to say who my favorite was, I think I'd have to pick the Doctor. And and you know he was. He was kind of funny because he was such a dick and yeah. and it's funny to imagine that like why is the holographic doctor a dick yeah but it's, it's like kind house. of fun. it's like house yeah, on exactly. he was house <laughs> so that was good i think that tuvok is 
pretty universally derided. I did no, like Tupac. Neelix is the worst. Neelix is the wall. Oh, Neelix is the worst. And the worst episode was Tuvix. Oh, man. <laughs> Where they were a hybrid. That was the... Oh, God. Like, how stupid. Do you know that that's stu- the inspiration for Shatko? I, uh... Oh, well. <laughs> yes, man. Um, and then when Seven of Nine came along, it was such pandering oh, yeah. to... I don't know what, like, just because I'm a Star Trek nerd, does that mean that, like, you think I don't know what boobs look like, so you got to give it to me in a Borg package? Is that the message you're sending? Yeah, I and, mean, that was, I think, part of the, the reasoning there, right? And then she um, and she took over the show. And then she took over the show. But I did enjoy parts of her character. I actually did, right? too. But, uh, and she had, did have some solid episodes. But yeah, she just came in and just, the show was just about her and Jane. It was just Everybody about Everybody else was just, took a back yeah. seat and it yeah. wasn't an ensemble anymore. No, it was the Seven of Nine show. And I mean, I, I thought Jerry Ryan actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. As best she could with wearing the ridiculous outfit. It's a little jarring given the context. Yeah. 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 You know, why does the Borg need high heels? The skin tight outfit, I guess like you could argue some kind of freedom of mobility bullshit or something, but a Borg doesn't doesn't need high heels. But I, I thought they developed that character better than any of the other characters in the end. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame. Well, those are my thoughts on on the series. What what's your opinion of Voyager? We'll get into Enterprise maybe in a sec, but what what's how's Voyager for you? Yeah, I, I would say exactly what you said. Uh unique concept. I think the concept started off good. I even liked the pilot. It's fairly decent. And I liked elements of sabotage, like they had the Maquis and the uh crew was trying to work together and then a couple of crew members didn't like it there and then they turned on them, or what was it, Seska? That was the name? Yeah, the engineer, yeah, so Cardassian I, spy, right? Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I, li- I liked some of this, uh, some of these concepts, and I think it led into a couple of good episodes, but then I think it just lost its way. It was just too much of, you know, individual episodic episodes, and it just kind of went nowhere, and you can't do that without a strong cast. Right. strong writing and you're just raping similar episodes of what's come before on TNG in the original series. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when they were trying to do something different and they had that, as I was talking about, you know, inner conflict and conflict with other species and, and that sabotage stuff that was happening, it was good. But then I just think that, you know, they just lost it along the way. It just wasn't strong enough and you can't have weaker episodes in a weaker show without a strong, strong cast that you really love. You don't really love anybody in this show. So that's part yeah. of the problem. A, a good cast probably could have made that show work or much better writing with that cast. And it probably could have worked. But without either one, no. Yeah. Nope. Uh, agree. Nothing to be done. And I have a similar beef with Enterprise. So we just want to roll in Enterprise. Yeah. Let's same, roll into Enterprise. Same, same problem there. I think I don't mind Bakula. Hated everybody else. Mm. Terrible. That is the worst cast. Worse than Voyager, they are terrible, absolutely atrocious. That's yeah. my opinion. I mean, I somewhat agree. I I really wanted to like Scott Bakula because I'm a big Quantum Leap fan. He was I don't I, I, now that you know, I've watched the I've watched the series. I, I did watch it. Uh, I think two years ago was the most recent. I just did a I did a run through on Netflix, and I found that I enjoyed it a little bit more today than I did when it was on originally. Unfortunately, I think Scott Bakula might have been miscast for that particular character, the way he was written. 
and and you're right. The rest of the cast is terrible. <laughs> They're absolutely <laughs> like, terrible. Like, yeah, like the the pilot, the linguistics officer, the oh, yeah. even the weapons guy. And I know, I think I remember talking to you about this before. You like what's his name? Tuck, fucking uh, cowboy Trip, the cowboy engineer. Oh, Fuck, he's he's terrible, he's terrible. And then you had the uh, fucking Vulcan bitch, right? So. She was terrible too. So I mean, like, yeah, she was pretty bad as well. So you don't have any strong players for Bakula to play off of, whether he was miscast or not. I do still like him, but you know, it just without that anybody else there to cheer for or like or that's interesting. It was like you know they got so many actors that felt like this was their first acting experience on the show. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, totally. Yeah, way too inexperienced. I felt really bad for the pilot. I don't remember. I don't even remember the guy's name. Poor bastard. Like the black guy. <laughs> oh, was he black? I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't notice. It has nothing to do with him being black. It's just I think it's just yeah. I don't. Well, I, I don't know the names. Like I don't. I don't. I don't remember the poor poor bastard's name. I mean, he. He's fucking cannon fodder for all I care. <sighs> yeah, what a sh- I mean, he's he was basically the red shirt who never got killed. Yeah, essentially. And why do they even bother having the guy on there if they weren't going to give him any lines, any story? And even when they did, I'm sorry, he 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 can't act. He can't act. And when you have an actor who can't act, but your writing better be fucking pristine. Very similar problems to Voyager uh, in that uh, you don't have actors and you don't have writers. You don't have much of a TV show. Yeah. Again, concept-wise, it's okay. solid. Yeah, I think concept-wise, it was okay. And as we mentioned before, I think by making it slightly a bit more mainstream, they might have had more success if you planted something like that today. Like if this is, you know, this is interesting. Is this what Discovery is going to be, right? Like is it going to be a very similar type of show as Enterprise? Because I'm assuming it's going to be set between Enterprise and the original series. I was under the impression, now I don't know for sure, I was under the impression that it takes place during the original series. The only reason why I am saying before is the what people are saying on the internet is the um, designation lettering on the uh, yeah on the ship. Yeah, the registry number? The registry number. Yeah, it's, it's so much earlier than 1701. This is 1031. So that it's got to be way before, not way before, but set definitely before Kirk's time. Yeah, well, we just don't... I mean, originally I'd heard that it takes place after Undiscovered Country. That's interesting. But then they wouldn't have a registry number. I don't know. The registry numbers don't aren't... They're not chronological in any sense. Uh, I don't know. That's what people were saying. So if they... Whether regardless. if I'd, I'd prefer it to be after Undiscovered Country, personally. Well, it's a period they haven't really explored. Yeah, and I time. think that, and I think that's a more interesting time because they're trying to reach peace with the Klingons, but they might not have gotten there yet. So there's a lot of interesting stories that can happen during that time period. I agree. I think that would be the best time period to set it in. It's really difficult to tell from what we know about it yeah, but- right now to say for sure. It would be very difficult to set it between Enterprise and the... and I think it would be very difficult to set it at any period between Enterprise and the end of the original series. I think it would, yeah. just from a design perspective, that'd be yeah. very... You're falling very, into similar trappings that Enterprise did, right? So and it's probably better that you set yourself... that you get yourself more creative freedom 
if you do it after the original after the original movies are done. Yeah. So how about maybe before we go into, you know, I, I would like to talk a tiny bit more about Discovery, but how about we just get into quick chat about the original movies and the TNG movies, and then maybe we can talk quickly about the reboots. So what are your favorites? Like, what do you, what are your thoughts on the original, original movies there? I mean, if we lump everything together, I think as a whole, so first I'll just talk about the original, like one through six, the original cast films. My favorite out of those, and and I, th- I think it's the, the best one for representing what the original series is about, is, uh, is Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country. Uh, that's my favorite. And, uh, you know, of course, Trath Khan's right up there. What I think is interesting is how poorly received a lot of them are. And that would be 1, 3, and 5 are the ones that are generally... Well, 5 deserves it. 5 deserves it. Even though there's entertaining aspects to 5? That if you love the characters, you'll enjoy aspects of five. Yeah, it's right? but there's some a movie. It's def it's definitely in terrible movie territory. It, it is, and that's right? kind of what you get. I mean, what does William Shatner know about making a movie? Well, it's I like, mean, what does God need with a starship? Well, what I mean, does William Shatner need with a directorial credit? <laughs> not a goddamn thing. Not, that's no, what. Not a goddamn thing. And he was only doing it because Nimoy got to do it for four, three and four. So three and four, that, yeah. that's but, pretty much what's going on there. But the, the movie itself was just bad. It's pretty bad, but it's got enough that like, I can still watch it and I'm, and I'm entertained. Hmm. It's terrible, but I like watching it. I, I, but I, you know, one and three, I, I mean, I think one is, is really good. I, I think the originals, the originals is a very good movie and not, I don't think it's as well regarded as it, as it deserves to be. It's very Star Trek. I love the motion picture. Very underrated film. Yeah. And it tried to be Star Trek's answer to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And in my opinion, except for some terrible pacing problems when they're just fucking staring at the fucking patterns in space, <laughs> someone was fucking high doing this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I think yeah. I think it was a very solid science fiction movie on its own. I think so. I agree. I yeah. think it's a very solid science fiction movie, and and, and they it's a great Star Trek movie. Like when you talk about what is Star Trek, yeah. this is Star Trek the motion picture, literally. Yeah. When you think about it. And oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the spirit of the original series right here, wrapped perfectly in a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. And I love it to death. I think it's a great. It's not just a great science fiction movie, but the characters, the leap from the sixth from the show to the big screen is such an incredible difference like the visuals the score the even the acting is very good for the most part i think i agree i mean what a task that was to try to try to translate what we saw in the late 60s to that i mean the design aesthetic is totally different uh the actors are so much older and yet it still feels like such a natural extension of it's what like we they saw didn't miss a beat and they captured it kind of perfectly, like they were kind of in different places yeah. in their lives. And I love felt, that. Yeah, and they felt it was, It felt so natural yeah. for them to be different yet the same. And I think it's a credit to the acting. I think it's a, a credit. I mean, it's a credit to the actors. I think it's a credit to as, the well, as to well the, to the writers for, for doing it, you know, where – and it didn't go smoothly. Nope. Like they all came back together and it didn't go well. I thought that was fantastic. I mean, Kirk's got to take command of the Enterprise, and, and Decker is not, he's not cool with it. No. That was a great beat to, to throw in there. 
Because that's exactly what would happen. He's actually a really good new character to to have in a movie there. Mm. Uh, I actually like Decker a lot. I liked him too. I I thought he was a... he was a good addition, and and again, very very Star Trek. It was a very Star Trek thing to do to have him go off at the end uh, as well. Uh, sort of uh, shades of um, Riker and Troy, right? So, well, I mean, that's the inspiration for Riker. That was the inspiration, yeah. So great, yeah. I don't know why everybody. Well, I think I know why people hate it. I mean, it's very cerebral. It's slow. I think it's because it's slow. Because the problem here is the timing. This movie was not possible. Until Star Wars came out. That's true. The success of Star Wars, you know, said, you know, this is Shatner saying saying this actually just recently in the Vegas convention. He was saying, I, I read an article of him talking about Star Wars and he said, if it wasn't for Star Wars, Star Trek would never have come back. And it's true. Yep. Because yep. as soon as Star Wars happened, the studio heads at Paramount saying, we need a IP that can match Star Wars. What do we have? What do we have that we already own? And it was Star Trek. Yeah. Okay, let's get that to the big screen. Yeah. Star Trek is not Star Wars. So the idiots at Paramount don't understand that, even though credit is given for at least greenlighting the fucking thing and giving a second chance so Wrath of Khan can come out. And that explains why Wrath of Khan is kind of Wrath of Khan. But it, it's not the same as Star Wars. It's not mainstream. It's not action-y. And it's supposed to be cerebral. And because this particular episode was so had some pacing issues, definitely was really slow. I tried showing this to my cousin last year. He got through it, but man, he was he was on his phone for after 20, 30 minutes. Mm. He was hooked for the first 20 minutes. He was saying, oh, this is good. And he actually didn't mind the rest of the movies. He'd never seen this one because I kind of told him it was slower. So I kind of forced him down to watch it. And he was into it for about a good 20, 25 minutes after that he checked out. Yeah. For younger people just to get into this movie, it's hard because it is just too slow. Yeah. And it is slow. Yeah, but I mean, you can say the same thing about 2001. It's a very slow movie. It's all cerebral. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's fair to come. I mean, 2001's 2001. I mean... I mean, no, it's a brilliant movie. I watched yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's great movie. the best movie may ever made. Yeah, about, but... you could make the argument, yeah. yeah. Well, what, okay, so what are your thoughts? So give me your rundown of the uh, of the original movies. Well, I'll, I'll give you rankings rankings later. I mean... I'll just say this about about the originals. I mean, uh, uh, the original six with the original crew is the strengths of the ones that work more than the ones that don't are when they're tackling an issue with Kirk, Spock, and Bones together. Because that's really the strength of the original series and their relationships with each other. And that goes to just the motion picture as well. The motion picture mainly works because those three work. And those relationships yeah. work too, right? It, along with it being a good science fiction movie, but that movie is carried by those three characters and their relationships with each other. And that goes without saying for the other ones. Now, it's the same thing when you talk about the other ones, but when you have the social commentary of the undiscovered country or the personal relationships in Wrath of Khan, I mean, those are why those movies work. Search mm-hmm. for Spock, the strengths of Search for Spock work because of, again the close relationships between Kirk, Spock, and Bones, and friendship, and loyalty, and family. Going back to what I mentioned about the strengths of Trek, especially the original series, that's what hooked me, and I think that's really what hooked everybody. Because the original series, even though it's very influential, and they tackled social commentary, it wouldn't have lasted without that brotherly bond between those three characters. And that's what works with the first six movies. 
in my opinion. Now you have the strengths and weaknesses of each, and we can get into that maybe at the end. Yeah. But how about TNG? How about the TNG movies? Like, did they make a good transition from television to film? I thought that they did make a good transition from television to film. It was obviously a very fast turnaround where we got, uh, you know, the same year that Next Generation went off the air. The first movie came out same year. So we're jumping right back in where we left off. Generations, again, I think while it has its problems, I think is also an underrated film. I, I love I how yeah. Generations looks. I mean, the I, I love how they lit that movie. They Oh, yeah. They, 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 it was great lighting on the Enterprise. It was so yeah. different. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, a lot of the characters were underserved. They didn't have, they didn't have a whole lot to do, which... I mean, when you have that big a, a cast in a ninety to one hundred twenty minute movie, you're you're definitely going to get characters who are who are underserved, and that's that's too bad. These scenes with Kirk and Picard together, I thought played well. They they had good chemistry together on screen. I think where Generations really suffers is the stakes aren't high enough. See, you know? I don't know about that. I would disagree with that sentiment. I think we have a great villain. Probably maybe my third favorite villain, maybe even second favorite villain in all of the Trek features in, with Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, no, I like Malcolm and, McDowell. And, and, as Zorin. And I, I, I like the fact that even though you don't know who these people are, I mean, he's going to destroy a whole system. It's just they have to stop him. I, yeah. I, I think the stakes are there. I mean, billions of people's lives are going to be lost if they allow this to happen. Even though it's it's not a personal connection because that's why – you know, Wrath of Khan works so well, why First Contact works so well, why Undiscovered Country works so well. These are better movies because the personal stakes are there a little bit more. But I still think Generations is still very strong because even though you're saying the stakes aren't there, they're there, they're just not personal stakes. But that's kind of the thing is either the stakes have to be big because I don't, I, I mean, I know it's start, I should care about some random civilization of pre-industrialized humanoids but i don't and i mean i might if they had made me care but if they had done something to help me care but they just told me that there was a civilization of pre-industrialized humanoids on this on this planet i understand what you mean and without giving me why i give a shit because there's billions of those civilizations out there but if the stakes if they were more personal otherwise then okay, then that's fine. Then the then it would have elevated what was happening. Lots of great character moments here. Uh, Patrick Stewart had some some excellent moments uh, dealing with the death of his family. They just had to give Troy something to do. They had to give Troy something to Damn. do. Exactly. At least they gave her something to do. What did they give uh, Crusher to do? Nothing. Fucking nothing. Yeah. But I, I like the I like the film overall. I think it's I think it's paced very well. Like I said, it it looks good. I think they shot the shit out of it. Data's emotional journey had kind of its ups and downs, but, you know, okay, it was okay. Brent Spiner, I thought, handled it well enough. So, you know, so the transition was a little bit rocky. I didn't like how the Enterprise kind of went down like a bitch after after getting through all of the harrowing situations for seven years. And it's like, you know, a couple shots from a 20-year-old bird of prey and down. I, I don't care that they have the shield frequencies and down it goes. I mean... And I know they, you know, they obviously were probably setting up so they could get a new ship and then yeah, come I mean, after. That's, but that's pretty much it. Um, it it yeah. it's things like that that showed how rushed it was. Mm -hmm. And I've heard even, you know, I've heard I heard Ronald Moore 
talking about this on a on a comment he was doing a commentary for one of the episodes in fact i think it was his commentary on yesterday's enterprise talking about how rushed production was on generations to just getting trying to get the script right they actually did try they did work on the script for a fair amount of time and they just couldn't get it right and they were and they in fact they looked back and thought geez i wish we hadn't done yesterday's enterprise because that's that's that the perfect and i think yeah. and i think that's the one problem is Generations. It's just, when I think of Generations, even though I still mainly enjoy the film, all I really think of is missed opportunity. Yeah, big even, time. You don't have to do Yesterday's Enterprise. You come up, even though that's a good, good starting point, you could have come up with a different story that would have brought the whole cruise and the, whole, and the two ships together. Because, and this is kind of maybe we can move into, after maybe a quick discussion about the TNG films is the, one of the problems I have with the reboots is they don't really treat the enterprise as a character or give it anything to do of value. It, it's not home to anybody. It's not, there's no attachment to the ship. Ship doesn't do shit. The captain doesn't have any relationship to the ship because you know, Kirk's love for the enterprise, you know, Picard's yeah. love for his ship. You know, it's evident in many scenes throughout the shows and the films. And yeah, you can argue that, okay, the new movies only have three movies and these other ones have all these episodes of TV to kind of express that. But when you think about just those little moments of Kirk looking at the ship at the beginning of the motion picture on a shuttle ride or Captain Picard just seeing the empty bridge and you get you get feelings, you, you get that, you sense that attachment and his love and he doesn't even want to lose the Enterprise E yeah. as well. He, he goes through that as well. You get these kind of relationships between the captain and his ship. You don't get, or even the crew in the ship, you don't get that in the reboots. And that's one of my beefs with, with the reboots as it is. But we'll get into that in a second. So we talked about generations. How about we know we, can, we can't do justice to the strengths of First Contact. It's a great film. How about where did the next gen go wrong with uh, Insurrection and Nemesis? How about you briefly touch upon that? Okay. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, I, I just want to say Star Trek First Contact and okay, and I'm good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're good. Because First Contact, I mean. Yeah, we shit. don't need to talk about it. No, we don't need to talk it's about good. it. It's good. Yeah. It's great. Though. It's good. Well, I think, I mean, so if we if we talk about Nemesis, uh, not a bad concept. I really enjoyed the idea that we're going to explore the implications of the Prime Directive from the perspective that they did. You mean Insurrection? Uh, right, insurrection. Sorry, you know the idea that the first that the prime director doesn't apply because this these people aren't indigenous to this planet, and you know, and plus, you know, we can use this planet for our for our own uh, selfish reasons, and so all of that was really interesting. The uh, you know a lot of the problems come in with the idea that I think it was the cast and maybe Patrick, so they wanted to do a film that was a little bit lighter hearted, where they could have a little bit more fun. And they and it was it, it came off as stupid. They they didn't serve the characters very well. Everybody was just kind of everybody was goofy. They they had the the bathtub scene with Frakes and Marina Sirtis just didn't fit. Uh, Data acting like a child was a step back. Uh, it was a real step back, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they tried to explore. Picard and give you know give him uh, a, a lady friend to hang out with. It just didn't play right. I the uh, I don't know the actor's name, but the the evil Starfleet admiral was he was pretty good, and and he comes after a long line of evil Star Trek admirals. 
Everybody then, who's an admiral in Star Trek. Even then, he didn't go the whole distance of being evil. No, he didn't. It just kind of sucked. Like, it was sort of meh, you know? No, no, I agree. Uh, in the end, I, I love the concept of the film. And I think that is a starting point makes an excellent, excellent movie. Problem yep. is, is the execution and the details surrounding everything, including the action. F. Murray Abraham is a good actor, but he's no supervillain, should I say. He wasn't cast well for this part, in my opinion. No, he, he wasn't. No, uh, like he, he's a very good actor. And I mean, in Amadeus, he plays a, you know, an excellent villain, like Oscar worthy, right? Oh, you think he won the Oscar, but he wasn't, he felt like he didn't belong in Star Trek. He just wasn't well suited and he wasn't given the right writing and the right script. And, and I think just the action set pieces itself, like the complete execution of this movie, unfortunately, I don't know what happened, especially after first contact. I don't know how freaks went from that to this. Yeah, because it was strange. It was very strange because Frakes showed, I mean, there were some techniques he used in First Contact that were a little on the amateurish side, but overall he pulled off a very, very good Star Trek movie, a very good movie. But it's tight. Here, and it's, it's tight. Not, and, and it's not tight here. There's no, it's not of, tight. Yeah, it, The action scenes don't hold together very well, and the humor falls flat. It's cheap. It's yeah, they it's they cheap go humor. for cheap jokes as opposed to uh, the like, the humor jokes. should come from the characters. Like the characters have lots of funny moments throughout the entire series. Mm-hmm. They they have good timing, you know. And Riker can crack a joke, and it makes sense for the character, and it's fine. But Picard can't crack a joke because he doesn't crack jokes. But that doesn't mean he can't be funny. But he doesn't crack jokes, and Worf doesn't crack jokes either. It just, it all fell totally flat. And it's like they got, I don't know who has the screenwriting credit on it. I don't know if uh, Frakes wrote it. I don't think he did. But they just didn't, I mean, that's fine if they wanted to make a movie that was funnier. I mean, if you watch, you know, if you watch Star Trek Four, for example, which is kind of the one everybody references when we talk about a funny Star Trek movie, they're not cracking wise. They're, they're just fish out of water it's funny because exactly fish out of water but they're still true to their characters exactly and and that's they haven't dumbed them down right right they're just yeah exactly it's just like they're funny because they completely in an environment they know nothing about fish out of water yeah and And that's where that's where the humor is is, comes from yeah and but the characters are still them yeah yeah so they all the characters just look like they were back in their first season tropes again Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a real shame. It's a real shame. Yeah, no, I agree. And then Nemesis is just, I think, just, well, again, they just tried, they said, okay, that didn't work. We got to have an action movie. And well, they're like, we got to do Wrath, we got to do our Wrath of Khan. Yeah, we got to do our Wrath of Khan, and we need to have our send-off with Data, even though he dies, but he can still come back with the stupid B4 plot. But I thought it was, and I'll get to this word, is insulting. Because, yep. you know, it's very contrived. You're having plot coincidences. Oh, I'm traveling through warp speed. I'm not even looking for it. But, oh, there's a positronic signal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, on some I'm, random planet. Yeah, on the neutral zone. Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Are, is this really the best you guys can come up with? Come on. Like, this is just stupid. Very stupid. Yeah. yeah. And then, unfortunately, Tom Hardy, before he was Tom Hardy, even though I think he didn't do that bad of a job, it, but it just... 
the story surrounding him being a Picard clone, I, I didn't like it. I thought it was pretty stupid. Totally stupid. Totally stupid. You're right. Uh, insulting, I think, is the right word here. Again, the humor that they try to play for in some of the scenes isn't natural from the characters. There was a, a subtle joke. Classic TNG banter is like when Data's trying to decipher all those symbols so they can escape. And he's just kind of fascinated by the whole thing. And he's talking about it to Picard, but they need to get out. They're in a bind, right? And they're being yeah. shot at. But, you know, Picard's telling him, hurry it up, hurry it up, right? You know, don't have time for that. And he, I actually enjoyed some of those kind of humor. I thought yeah, well, they, were that's... To, they were trying to get back to who these characters really are and those yeah. relationships. And yeah. I liked that. But there's just too much, too many problems in this movie. It's just, it's not a good action movie. It looks good. I think the budget was, it made this movie looked excellent. It was filmed very well in terms of production value. It's just, unfortunately, the pieces weren't there. No, the, the pieces weren't there. I mean, Picard driving the dune buggy. I mean, the B, the whole B4 thing. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why? Yeah, no, I know. Come on. It was flat out insulting. Terrible. You're right. Tom Hardy did fine with what he was given. Terrible concept. Well, they put I me, mean, I guess they probably could have made the concept of a an evil Romulanized Picard clone work. I don't I, know. I like the idea of Romulans. And it's just like, why weren't they just Romulans? Why do you have to fucking make it Romulans? And then all of a sudden they're taken over by these fucking Remans. Yeah, that's, that's so right. stupid. Yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, give, give me the Romulans. I don't no, care about these the Romulans, Remans. The Romulans were built up all the way through the series as an adversary. Yeah. And then you get this. It yeah. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. It was stupid. And that that's why this is my most hated of all of the films that bear Star Trek in its title. I just can't, uh, I, I can't abide. I, I, I cannot abide. Okay. So how about, this is a good segue. Let's get into the reboots, the three yeah. movies. I did see Beyond, even though I said I, my claim to fame was, I will never watch this movie because I was so insulted by Into Darkness. But yeah. I did see it, uh, not through other certain means, but I did see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So how about, how about we just talk about New Trek as a whole and maybe we can touch about Beyond because that's the latest. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the reboot so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm generally positive, if not very excited. I was I was very excited in the lead up to Star Trek 09 because it was it was nice to know that Star Trek had life again. The reboot was I was mixed on the idea of it, but the trailers were looking, you know, just talk about the excitement leading up. The trailers were looking good and and I had an open mind about it. And you know, overall I think that they did a pretty good job with casting. Not a great job, but a a pretty good job. I don't think anybody was was terrible. I think that, you know, as far as anybody being miscast, probably Simon Pegg, who I know you're a huge fan of, <laughs> was probably the most miscast. It, or at least he, he kind of hammed it up more than was really necessary for the role. And I I mean, I'm I'm a fan of his, but he's very jarring to me in that role. I think he overdoes it. But Carl Urban as Bones, great choice there. It certainly dumbs the, it certainly dumbs Star Trek down. There's nothing intellectual going on in any of these three films at all but it does have a lot of heart it does have i feel that sense of family that you were talking about but certainly the enterprise isn't isn't home but that's part of the thing i haven't actually haven't lived on it i mean it's a new ship it's a new crew 
the Enterprise, I think, doesn't get enough to do in Into Darkness and in Star Trek Beyond. I thought the Enterprise had a couple good moments in the first one, though, like kind of at the end of the climax when the Romulan ship is chasing Spock in the in the yeah they come in little just, time ship and then the Enterprise warps in and it has its Han Solo moment at the end there. I guess yeah, I guess so. And obviously, you know, with JJ's uh, influences being more. Star Wars than Star Trek, but I I still love the moment. I think it was exciting. I the first the opening of Star Trek 09 is one of my favorite openings of any Trek film. Any Trek film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I re- remember I I was excited because yeah, Trek was back. I agree. I I didn't like the fact that they chose. Uh, maybe I'll save this comment for the end. Is uh, but the thing about New Trek that I can sum up in one word is insulting it is a very insulting interpretation to what star trek is and that's my main beef with it is there a sense of fun in these movies yes high tempo high energy but that's just you could say the same thing about the fast and the furious franchise so they have dumbed down star trek to be mainstream so it can survive understand but i still think you need to have the true understanding and respect of the material of what makes Star Trek work? Social commentary, relationships, family. You mentioned the you get a sense of family with these characters. I do not. Absolutely do not. These are completely a new, complete interpretation of who these characters are. And I also feel they don't have the respect of the material because or the technology. Everything is contrived and very convenient. Let's talk about I can transport from planet to planet without knowing coordinates. I can transport from a ship to one that's in warp from a stationary planet to, I have no idea where the coordinates are, but I'll get there. Right. <laughs> so these are just plot conveniences just to get the movie going because they don't want to dumb it down with techno battle and they want to keep the moving so fast, fast, fast. This is an issue with JJ Abrams. And unfortunately he was completely the wrong director to get his hands on Star Trek. In my opinion, I think if you put this in a more capable director's hands, we'd be sitting in a completely different world. Would it be as successful? I don't know. I think if you still find the right balance of excitement, escapism being a mainstream, but you're treating the IP with respect and they're not doing that right now. And that's what I hate the most. And now you talk about con blood. You could talk about, oh, Captain Kirk and he, he can't graduate, but... He's the captain of the Enterprise, and a few hours <laughs> later, these are the kind of things that just make me shake my head and saying, "What the fuck is this shit?" This is just something I see on CW. This—it's not just because they're young; it's the stupidity behind the whole thing, and that's what I cannot understand. And then you talk about the raping of scenes and in Into Darkness, which is a completely insulting take on everything. That movie was just terrible. The one thing I did like about Beyond—if you want to touch, uh, go go to Beyond is that they actually started going back to the roots of Star Trek and saying, what is Trek about? And they started tack- an attempt to tackle some of that. And you might get some elements of them working as a team, working together, forging some relationships with each other. I think it was a little stronger in that one, even though it was a slightly still a weaker story and a, and a weak villain. That's Beyond. But that's my yeah. take. What, what did you think of Beyond? Hmm. Yeah, weak, weak villain in Beyond. There's no question about that. A real shame, too, because Idris Elba's pretty good. He can be pretty menacing. 
He may be menacing, but you know what? Honestly, I think he... uh, There's some fascination with Idris Elba that I just do not understand. I think he's a very overrated actor. Well, have you watched him in anything? I've seen him in Luther. He's okay, but I... He's pretty good, man. He's good, but I don't think he's that good. He's not as good as everybody makes him out to be. Well, that's probably... I mean, that's a different topic. He wasn't given anything to do either. I mean, he's, he's buried under all that makeup. For, for most of the film and it's a it's a pretty one-dimensional villain unfortunately so he's he's not up there i it's good i mean they were they played it very safe in this in this movie you're right there it it was very it it felt more traditional for a like kind of a run-of-the-mill original series episode yeah and it's good and they you know they didn't have any of the magic science that they did in the first two like transporters that can turn that make starships obsolete and immortality serums and, and so forth. You're, you're right about I mean, that stuff was ridiculous. So I'm glad they didn't do any of that kind of bullshit here. I kind of like some of the throwbacks to Star Trek Enterprise that they threw out in Star Trek Beyond. That was kind of cool. Even though Enterprise isn't all that highly regarded, it does show a connection to the, to the source material a little bit. So that was pretty cool. It was fine. I, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't love it. It was not insulting, at least. Uh, yeah, you know. it wasn't insulting, but it just felt, unfortunately, it just it felt mainstream, but it didn't feel yeah. epic enough. Yes, exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't epic enough. Yeah, it was it just kind of. Yeah, it was. It was okay. It was okay. Um, yeah. You know, it was too bad that this wasn't the second movie because maybe the third one could have been even better. Because well, I, that's I think, yeah. Well, the one thing about these three movies so far, as I mentioned before, is I still don't think that they have treated the character of the Enterprise right. I'm not talking about the Apple Store bridge and that kind of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, even though I'm not a fan of the design, I can let it go because you got to modernize it. I'm talking about just the ship. They're not doing anything with the ship. It's just there. No, it doesn't It doesn't do anything from a design perspective. I mean, I like the look of it. I, the sets, I think the bridge looks cool. I, I like the uh, concept of engineering being a uh, an industrial-looking Microbrewery? set. Yeah, the yeah the brewery, yeah the Budweiser brewery, which is really weird. But I I, I like the industrial look no, of it. I, I hate it, but that's just yeah. me. The ship, you're right. The ship doesn't get enough to do, and that in that is movies, kind of in three movies it has hardly been there. Yeah, well, two movies in a bit because it got blowed the fuck up in the first act of the yeah of the third one. And there. again, like these are moments that need to be earned. Well, whether it's, you're you're talking about a movie franchise or not. This is something that's supposed to be fairly epic. And again, it didn't come off across as epic. It wasn't. It's almost like they are scared of setting the movie in outer space. Yeah. And, and if why. you don't have it in outer space, then you're not, obviously you're not going to have any moments for the Enterprise to shine. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is the problem with these three movies. That's one of the problems. I'm also not a huge ca- uh, fan of the cast. I mean, I think Carl Urban's the strongest out of the, out of the bunch. Chris Pine's okay. I'm glad he's not doing Shatner, but... Mm-hmm. I really don't know what he's really bringing to the table. No, he's just bringing leading man to the table. He's not a leading man. He's just chumpled. But that's what he, I mean, that's all he's, like, he's not playing Captain Kirk. He's playing young, dashing, leading man. Yeah, that's the character he's playing. Yeah. And another thing about the movie so far is I understand that there has to be an arc for, because, you know, young Kirk was different than, like, anyone who knows the history reading books or reading information about the character. Young Kirk was a bookworm in their, in their prime timeline. And, yeah. in their, and then he was a brash, different guy as Captain Kirk. 
Whereas Picard was more of a, when he was younger, he wasn't as much of a bookworm and then he grew up to be a bookworm. Completely different. So I understand that people, when they're young, they're different. But the transition, you're, we're seeing him from when he's getting his command, mm-hmm. right? In the original one and in these next movies here. And he hasn't grown. And he's still the same douchebag that he was in the first one as he is now. He, he, he That's how he comes across. Through his body language, through his tone. He has no sense of real authority over anybody. And he's very unsure of himself consistently. And I, I even hear, you know, they're going to, he's, he's just a guy with daddy issues. And I guess that's going to happen in the next one because they're announcing that, oh, if they do a Star Trek four, it's going to be about him as dad. So yeah, there are timelines around. So and anyway, I, I don't even want to get into that. I mean, I, I just don't have a lot of faith. I'm not really a fan of this interpretation of Trek, even though if this is what it needed to be to get me a, tra- a Star Trek TV series, so be it. Well, and it is. This is exactly, if they didn't do it, they wouldn't have done it at all if they didn't do it like this. Like, it was going to be action, adventure, or it was going to be no Star Trek. Yeah, no, so that's fine. So I've accepted it for what it is, and that's that's my take on this new Trek. I'm not a fan. I, I don't think there's a lot, even though I love the opening of Trek 9, and I think Trek 9 as a whole is, is, is a fun ride, and I love the production value of the first one, especially that opening is amazing. But aside from that, I, I really am not a fan of what I have seen. It's lost me completely. So much so, so that for 40 years, I have been, Trek has been a part of my life pretty much since I was learned to talk. And this is the first Star Trek movie beyond that I, I did not want to even see. Even As shitty as some of the other ep- uh, movies have been, like Insurrection or Final Frontier or Nemesis or whatever it would be, I would have still watched further iterations but Into Darkness was just something that just said, you know what, I'm done. And I can't believe a Trek movie made me think that way. So what you're saying is you want to give J.J. Abrams a big hug and buy him a beer and tell him how awesome he is. That's That guy needs to get worked hard. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of exact fan of what he did with Force Awakens, as we talked about. Similar issues with that movie as it is with these new Trek movies. He comes across as a guy who says he really truly understand, understands the concept and the IP but I really don't think he does. Well, shall we talk a little bit about the future then of Star Trek? You want to get into that portion now? We can talk a bit about the the new series that's coming and uh, you know maybe other other concepts of uh, of what the future of Trek holds. Yeah, as we we kind of hinted at already with with Star Trek Discovery depending on the timeline it's going to be on, but I'm a bit scared. So much is hinging on the success of this show for Trek to continue. Because I think mainstream audiences are getting tired of this new new Trek series. The box office for Beyond is not doing as hot as the other ones. And there's not even a guarantee you'll get a fourth one if the box office is the way it is. So it's really this and that's it. And if this doesn't work, I really think you're going to see maybe 20, another 10 to 20 years of no Trek. This thing doesn't fly. Mm -hmm. And that's what scares me. So what are your thoughts on the CBS all streaming or all access or what that bullshit is? Well, a huge mistake on CBS's part. I can't believe they would be so naive to do this. I don't think that they want Star Trek to fail. I really don't because I think if they did, they just like, why would we even bring it back in the first place? They think it's going to be a hit. They think it's going to be a hit and because of the box office of the new Trek and hardcore Trekkies will definitely do whatever. Right. But the problem is that 
you're not uh, going to hit a, a new mainstream fans or fans that aren't knowledgeable about Star Trek and they want to get into it. They're going to say, I got to pay to see this. Fuck that. Exactly. And, and it'd be one thing if the subscription service was desirable or attractive, but it's not like, why would I pay? I mean, it, a subscription to the CBS all access is almost as much as a subscription to Hulu or Netflix, but on Hulu and Netflix, I can get everything. Yeah. On CBS All Access, I can get CBS shows. And CBS shows fucking suck. They're terrible. And mm -hmm. CBS is the only, like, they're like, no, no, we're not going to get into this whole Netflix, Hulu thing. That doesn't make any sense. So sorry to interrupt. Isn't this still going to be on Netflix, though? Except not in the in, States? Not in Canada or the United States. Ah. Oh. So stupid. Those are the markets, like the the, the North American market, the American market is where they hang. T it's not like movies, right? Where they look more for the international audience now. American TV shows are made for American audiences, and the American market is where they make the money. Yeah. So they did sign a deal with Netflix to stream it outside of North America, but in the United States, it's going to be on CBS All Access. So how and is this going to work? Because usually on Netflix, like say House of Cards, right? Yeah. Or Daredevil, or something like that. Like Netflix owned shows, produced shows. Yep. They stream the once they the show goes on Netflix, you can watch all the episodes. Right. Is that what they're going to do here? Uh, no, I don't. Or it's going to like so. get updated on a weekly basis. Yeah, it'll be updated. If you there are a few shows on Netflix where Netflix has signed a deal with the uh, originating network. So, for example, the El Rey Network in the United States. And they have the show From Dusk Till Dawn, based on that old shitty movie from Robert Rodriguez. It's only available outside of the U.S. on Netflix. But because it's a weekly show, Netflix will update it. Like in Canada, you watch it on Netflix, but it's a weekly show still. So every week you get a new episode. Mm. So that's how they'll do it outside of North America. So it's not going to be like the 13 episodes straight up. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Because I was, I was always wondering that. I'm saying, well, I mean... Yeah, all these other shows, I'm not going to be able to watch it all at once. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, no, this makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, NBC toyed with this, with that show Aquarius last summer, I, th I think, uh, with the David Duchovny. Not sure how that worked out. But because the CBS All Access doesn't give me any added value, what, do I want to watch the entire back catalog of CSI Miami? Yeah, uh, exactly. Give me no, a fucking break. I like, agree with you. This is... Mistake number one, and yep. you're not going to reach as many viewers, but maybe they're saying the money that they're going to generate from this will make up from some of the lack of viewership that they're going to get. This is a gamble instead of it being free and everybody watching and they're only dependent on Nielsen ratings and advertisements and points based on that uh, and the revenue generated off those point system. Maybe they're saying they'll just generate the revenue from hardcore Trekkies and that'll be almost equivalent to what they would get from points from additional I, viewership. I hope that's true. And maybe they got maybe they're outsmarting me on this one. And I hope that that's the case because I mean, well, I mean, because yeah, I would pay for it. I won't. You I, will or you won't. I will not. You will not. Nope. I I won't either because I won't have to. Yeah, exactly. But if I was in the U.S., I would. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You love Italian. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's your way. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, fortunately, we'll be in a better situation here, but it is, uh, it is a curious decision on their part. Now, that being said, 
I am happy with the talent that they brought on board, uh, Nicholas Meyer and Brian Fuller. So I think that they they've got good creatives involved in the show. Again, we had a bit of a discussion on what timeline is going to be, and we don't know yet. And there's lots of timelines that, I mean, it's obviously going to be pre-Next Generation. That that much is clear from the design aesthetic there. If you could, it, we'll just be fanboys for a second here, Harry. Uh, if you could pick any time frame, if you were making the next Star Trek series, when would you set it and what would your concept be for the show? Oh, my God. It is so hard to to say. I think I would still s- honestly stick with what we mentioned is the post undiscovered country pre TNG era because there's a lot of interesting conflicts and stories that can be told there. I think that's where I would put my money. But the fanboy in me still would love to see a post TNG like right after TNG, and mm. I'd love to get cameos from. From the original, from the TNG or even DS9, or if I have to say Voyager cast. <laughs> as long as Neelix isn't in it. Ugh. <laughs> but I mean, come on. Wouldn't you just love to see Patrick Stewart play Captain Picard one more time? Yes, I would. It doesn't matter, even how old he is. Wouldn't, and I think he could pull it off. Oh, he still looks pretty good. He still looks pretty good. I watched him in Green Room, a movie actually with Anton Yelchin, one of his oh, last yeah. uh, movies. Okay movie, um, but both actors did a very good job, but Patrick Stewart's still amazing. I think he can really pull it off. He still looks young enough for his age to get back in that suit and get back yeah. in that chair. I, I really think so. I'd love to see that entire crew give it another one more kick at the can. I mean, even I mean, even Brent Spiner looks fine, and LeVar Burton looks good. Michael Dorn looks good. I, I haven't seen Marina Sirtis or Gates McFadden. In a while, so I they were never. I mean, take a look at the whole crew. They were never sold on being young and hot. It doesn't really matter too much. Yeah. And, and uh, I think Jonathan Frakes would have to get you know shuffle his way from the buffet table <laughs> as well, <laughs> <laughs> as he does his uh, slanted walk. Right? Yeah, as he does his slanted walk. He's always been a pretty big guy. You know, <laughs> funny uh, funny story. You talk about the slanted walk. Uh, just as an aside, I know we're. We're kind of talking about other things, but when I was at the uh, the convention in town here, so this was uh, the the year of the tw- uh, it was the 25th anniversary of of Next Generation, which I guess would have been four years ago now. So the first time that the entire Next Generation cast got together again was at that convention here mm-hmm. for the for the 25th anniversary. So they were all here, uh, which was awesome, and and so I I went to a panel. Uh, Frakes, Marina Sirtis, and, and Michael Dorn was the three of them. And what was funny was that these panels always have a moderator, right? They have a guy who comes out, introduces them, and will lob a couple questions at him. Uh, it's a volunteer event, I guess, but I don't know what happened to the moderator. He never showed up. So Frakes, Sirtis, and Dorn, they just come out like and just started winging it because there wasn't anybody to introduce them. There wasn't anybody to set the stage to ask questions, to moderate audience questions or anything. They just came out and started winging it. Oh. Marina Sirtis kind of took the the lead and she started, uh, so she she was sort of moderating the whole thing. Michael Dorn was taking pictures of the whole thing, wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> and she kept she kept talking shit. She's like, Dorney, what are you doing? Like, we got a we got a thing we're doing here. You're just sitting there taking pictures. And he's like, well, it's for the it's for the 25th anniversary. You know, I want to make sure I get all the, all the pictures. It's, he's kind of a goofball. Right. Anyway, so uh, there's an audience question. And 
somebody asks, I, I, it was the whole group, I think, like, is there anything that you would do differently or regret? And Frank says, well, I think I might do this differently. And he does the fucking slanted walk across the stage. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right out of the TV show, it was fucking hilarious that's anyway awesome. <laughs> so he actually did i thought maybe that's just how he walked no right. he, he he did that he said he he said he was like he kind of did it as a as a choice but he doesn't i don't think he remembered why he did that he just wanted to give the character a particular sort of physicality the same as how he sort of steps over chairs right he can't just sit in a fucking chair without mounting it first <laughs> <laughs> that's true he does yeah. that all the time yeah, yeah he totally does that all the time i know he's tall that's pretty that's pretty boss though yeah, I love it. I, every time he fucking steps over a chair, I'm like, yeah, Riker. <laughs> when he leans on the uh, the ops console next to Data there, he puts his leg up, puts his crotch right in Data's ear. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I think you, you get a couple of uh, double takes with uh, Data, too. Yeah. <laughs> he peeks over. He does. He like, does a couple It's like, times. how close is he, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. And like Riker's junk, you know that he's packing. It's like, are you prepared for the kind of death you've earned, little man? <laughs> As he talks talks to the crotch, right? <laughs> no, no, that's what Riker's crotch says to Data. <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> what were we talking about? Discovery. Oh, yeah. That was a discovery. That was a discovery. <laughs> no, I think that... Yeah, I think it would be cool to see them play those characters again. Unfortunately, I don't. I think that ship sailed. You know, I was thinking what might be what might have been a kind of a cool idea just from my fanboy perspective. Also, post TNG, but I thought like take it a little bit further into the future and after, like take it after maybe like let's say the Dominion War had completely decimated the Federation, but the, like the Federation won, but was in a complete a complete shambles afterwards. And then, which Earth, it would have been? What's that? Which it pretty much would have been the fleet, at least. Right, exactly. So then, I thought it might have been kind of neat if you know, from Earth, they reform Starfleet and then try to rebuild the Federation. So they send ships out to you know, kind of reestablish contact with the worlds that you know, all the worlds that have been decimated by this war that had been in. So they're kind of out in this post-war universe. But with the original concepts of Star Trek intact, right? The hope for unity and peace, but in a much different type of universe that had kind of been destroyed. So I thought that might have been kind of a cool idea. But anyway. yeah, it's interesting. But we you have to. I don't know if episode uh, like individual contact episodes where they're going to be meeting a new species every week. I mean, well, no, but it, it doesn't. I'm need not to be... sure if that's going to work anymore, but... man. I, I don't know. Like that's why this show. It's like it, this is a tough sell. I don't know yeah. what they're going to do here. Yeah, and that's a good point. I don't know what they're going to do either because, and I guess maybe that's another question we need to ask is, if that is all they're going to do, why bother? I mean, what stories are still left to tell in that vein? And yeah, and then is it going to be that because the title of the show and the ship is Discovery. Right. So I'm leaning towards the fact that they're going back to the roots. Yeah. Even though they might tell arcing storylines. And you, you like a, in a novel format, so maybe it'll be TNG, but more continuous parts of TNG. Continue like from episode one to episode ten or episode thirteen, whatever it may be. Right. So 
I'm a bit worried there. I'm not sure if that's going to necessarily fly. It's going to be very difficult. Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult to not retread similar territory. But that being said, if they have good writers and decent actors, then they can make it work. The cast will make or break it. Well, as we've talked about before, I mean, the cast, they kind of have to have chemistry. If they're not the greatest actors in the world, but the scripts are good. I mean, the TNG cast, aside from Patrick Stewart, and I mean, Brent Spiner was good on there. I mean, nobody there was was pulling out a great performance. They were all good, like believable as their characters, but the writing made them better. Made them better, and it and it worked right. And on no, you know, were, Deep Space good. Nine, they the writing good. made them good. Yeah, as long as the writing is good, then it can work. And I mean, the they have to have they have to have some chemistry, like Deep Space Nine. They have chemistry. The writing's good. You know, the actors aren't super talented, but it, it's fun. It it still it hits right. You can it can still make it work. You know, it's, that's why that's why I think Star Trek has always been very contingent the quality of star trek's been very contingent on the writing if they get good writers they're in good shape yeah because i think a good start with brian fuller so yeah uh and nicholas meyer so hopefully uh they need to pull a miracle out of their hat though they got their work cut out for them that's for sure tough yeah it's gonna be tough because they still have to make it slightly mainstream as well and i want that i want them to find that balance yeah of the roots and spirit of Star Trek while still amping it up to a modern level. Yeah, I, I think that there there is there's good news there because I mean depending on the I hope they get a little bit more latitude because it's on an on-demand service. You, you know, you see shows on Netflix, you know, HBO, AMC, these sort of alternative channels, they have a lot more latitude to do different things. They don't have to be very generic. They can they can take a few more risks, and that's worked really well. So if they if they're afforded some of the same latitude that some of these other avenues uh, give their shows, I'm excited to see what modern TV Star Trek is going to look like. Yes. And if it looks like more what we see on you know Netflix and and some of the cable channels, I, I'm I'm really excited. If it's going to be modern network, like modern network TV is a giant steaming pile of crap. It is. Network TV has taken a huge step backwards. It has. I mean, I I love, I pretty much only watch everything that's on Netflix, only Netflix or HBO. Yeah. And AMC. And AMC. Those are the only three channels I really go to anymore. Yeah. Stuff on on, like NBC, CBS, ABC, none of that stuff's watchable. It's so generic. And that's not where they were going. Like if, don't tell my wife. (laughs) I've tried many times. Oh, I know. But like when when Lost came out, you know, it was network mainstream network TV, and you know, say what you will about how Lost ended, that was like they did a lot of things that were very progressive for for a network. Yep. And then as soon as Lost ended, they took like ten steps back in the other direction. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's okay as long as other there are other sources where these great shows are coming are are gonna. Oh yeah, home. no, I agree. Okay. I don't care about the networks if the networks die off. And that brand good. of TV dies. Good, great, yeah. Great. But I don't want Star Trek to be a casualty of that. Yeah, I know, and that's that is a risk. So yeah. that's why I'm worried. But you know, we can have a toast to the undiscovered country, which will be discovery. Hopefully, <laughs> it'll go in a in a positive direction. To be or not to be. <laughs> Cry havoc. <laughs> uh, that'll be me after 
uh, if I'm not happy with the pilot, right? <laughs> That'll be the after credit sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or do you want to wrap this up with maybe a, a fun little ranking of our movies we can compare and contrast? Yeah, let's let's do a ranking. I mean, we could honestly, yeah, there's a million topics we could still bring up and talk about, but let's start to bring it home here and do do a bit of a wrap up. So why don't you give me your your list? Well, how about this? Instead of just listing it all, uh, how about we do maybe the top, bottom, the bottom three and compare the bottom three? Okay. And then we go the next three and then the next three all the way to the top. Yeah, all right. Because I, I, I have a feeling the bottom, like maybe not the bottom three, the top three will probably be the same. Probably. And the bottom three, well, it's, it's interesting. So my worst one out of the wall, probably no surprise to you, is Into Darkness. Yeah. Uh, it is atrocious beyond any explanation I can give anymore. It is the one of the, the worst movies I've ever seen. Nemesis is next, right near the bottom. And then, hate to say it, but Final Frontier is right near the bottom there too. It's in the bottom third bracket. So, what about yeah. yours? What about yours? Okay, well, my, my absolute worst is Nemesis. Okay, so we at least we share something common there. Yeah. Um, second worst, I'm going to go with Insurrection. Oh, well, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty low, but I'm surprised you would put it that low. Okay, yeah, anyways. it, yeah, I, I, mean, I can't it. defend it for not being. There. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing <laughs> you can't you can't defend it. <laughs> and then uh, after that, <sighs> see, now it's getting tough. I I don't know. I guess I kind of want to go into darkness at this point, although I don't think I hate it. I don't hate it at all, really. I know I don't hate it as much as you, but. Yeah, I guess I guess Into Darkness has to come in. It better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking like there. Are, you know, I'm thinking of some of the other some moments in the other ones. I'm like, oh, that one's pretty bad too. Yeah, that one's pretty bad. But yeah, we'll we'll go with that. So we'll go Nemesis, Insurrection, Into Darkness. Okay, not bad, not bad. Yeah. Are you Are you surprised at any of my like Final Frontier being at the bottom? Right near the bottom for me? Oh, not really. Because if you take that out, like what else? Like what else would be in the bottom? Like it's. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's not a good movie. No, there are funny, funny parts to it that I absolutely adore. But that's those five five minutes in cumulative time do not make up for the rest of the piece of shit. (laughs) What are you talking about? I love when he throws the cat chick into the pool table. (laughs) Yeah, I love that part. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell is going on there? Actually, just a side note. The one thing I do like about the Final Frontier is that action set piece where they invade the shantytown. I didn't mind it, except they're looking so old. Like I I don't think they could have pulled off that invasion there. And... (laughs) As much as I love Nichelle Nichols, you love the fan dance. Come on, oh man! man. Like, <laughs> is <oof>. she naked? <laughs> Hold your horse, Captain. <laughs> you won with horse fuck. <laughs> All right, so so my here's my next threesome here. Okay, this is it's a tough one for me to say which one's worse than the other one, but right now I'm going to say Beyond Star Trek Beyond is after Final Frontier. But it's really tied with Insurrection. I give bonus points to Insurrection. I put plays at slightly higher simply because I feel that there's still more of an understanding of what Trek is. It was just the execution of that movie was bad. But the concept I liked more than what Beyond was. So that's why Insurrection's a little higher for me. And then, this might surprise you as well, then The Voyage Home is next. 
Mm. I like the Voyage Home. It's funny. It's just for me, it's not, it's not super rewatchable. It's just a little too dry. It's just not enough happens. It's a bad first act, even though I love the humor. I love all the one-liners that come out of this movie. They're iconic. You know, you love Italian. Double dumbass on you. Double dumbass on you. You love Italian. Hello, computer. You know, so how do you know he wasn't the one who invented it? (laughs) (laughs) Nuclear vessels. I mean, all of this stuff is gold. But beyond, I mean, there are little moments that are sprinkled through the movie that are just amazing and just fun. And it's a fun one, I think. That's one of the ones I'd watch with my kids, for sure. One of the earlier ones. If I had to watch it out of order, I'd probably show them that. After it's interesting, I don't know how I'm going to really introduce my kids to Star Trek. They already know about the Enterprise. They're only like two and a half years old, so I got. Yeah, get... they're a little young yet, so I'll probably hit them with the original series. I mean, if Shatner will either draw them in or just send them for the hills, so I figure you got to just put them in front of it and let destiny take its course. But yeah, but it's got to be with Shatner. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd say chronologically is how you have to introduce them. Yeah. Yeah, but I can't wait too old because then they're definitely going to say this isn't modern enough for me. Yeah, you're going to have to do that before they watch other TV. Yeah. <laughs> so soon, dude, soon. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I said Beyond, Insurrection, and Voyage Home. How about yourself? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go with – yeah, okay, I'm going to go with Final Frontier. And I like Final Frontier, but it is bad. <coughs> but, like, there's some Star Trek here, though. That's the only thing. Like, the Kirk, Spock – McCoy relationship they spend the whole movie together pretty much and it's it's good because of that and it's and it's and that and that works and the you know the idea of uh the supreme being like that's a that's a that's a well traveled star trek trope it is well it's really the question of life what is the meaning of life star trek's trying to do something yeah. like that too bad it's it's just terrible <laughs> yeah well it's it's a poorly made film the they, you know, this low rent actor who plays Cyborg. Who's this guy? Yeah, Lawrence Lawrence Duck Duckman Duckenbill Luckenbill. I don't oh, know what the fuck is man. Name. What is that guy's that, name? That guy seems like he has just dropped off the face of this planet. Since I mean, I I kind of liked some of his scenes. Like he has that maniacal cackle, <laughs> and he's such a counterpoint to Spock. I mean, cool idea. And you know what? I mean, he was okay. He was definitely low rent, but. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I like so much about it. The random Klingon enemies chasing them just there for no fucking reason at all. Damn you, sir. You will try. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Captain, not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> Lots of good lines in yeah. this movie, too. Me yeah, and, there's, uh, well, there's good lines in everyone, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, but that'll be there. Uh, then after that, I guess we'll go with... <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, Star Trek Beyond probably comes next. Like, I like Beyond, but it's kind of, uh, yeah, you know. Kinda meh. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't doesn't do a whole lot to further it. And then I'm going to go with Search for Spock. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I like, there's a lot about Search for Spock that's that's good, but it's it feels very low rent to me. I mean, Christopher Lloyd chewing up scenery as a Klingon is kind of cool. I, I like Christopher Lloyd as the Klingon. I think yeah, I, I did rap. like him. Yeah. He gets a bad rap. He No, he was fine. He was good. I, I, I liked him being over the top a bit. The destruction of the Enterprise was very iconic here, very emotional. That was good. But everything else is uh, poor. I think there's some poor production values here. What's his name as, as David? He sucks. And... <laughs> 
It's okay. I, I I think you're a little hard on Search for Spock, but I mean, it's just it, it's it's not. You know, we're getting to the upper echelon after this, anyways. So I mean, you have yeah, to place exactly. Place. We're at yeah, we're like we're basically yeah, it's right at the, the top of the bottom half. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's got it's got some problems with it that I, I think it has some pacing problems as well, but but also some very good moments. Anyway. Okay, so you said Final Frontier, Beyond, and then uh, Search for Spock. Okay. So my next one's um, getting climbing higher on the ladder, but uh, still not quite up. There's Trek 09, then Search for Spock, then uh, Generations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go uh, in the next echelon here. I'm going to go with Voyage Home, Generations, and Star Trek 09. Oh, so pretty, pretty close. Pretty, pretty close. close. Yeah. Pretty close in there. Yeah. And then you're getting, why don't we just finish off because it's only four left, so... Then the next four. So these these would be my top four in reverse order. So four to one. Motion picture, undiscovered country, first contact, wrath of Khan. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we have the same four in the top four here, right? So my next one. So motion picture. Uh, motion picture is your number four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same here. And then I'm gonna go. Then it's wrath of Khan. What? Yeah. Wrath of Khan is third. Yeah. Wrath of Khan is third. Wow. And then it's going to be First Contact and then Undiscovered Country. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, all good movies. Uh, and those, and, the, and my top three are like really tight together. Like they're you. not, they're separated by less than one. Like it's like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. No, for me, Wrath of Khan is echelons even above the other two. It is beyond untouchable. It is one of the best movies ever made. It is not. It is not Star Trek. It's one of the best movies ever made. It is not one of the best movies ever made. It is. It is. But that's for that's maybe for another show. <laughs> if it's not for the Star Trek podcast, we're at two and a half hours here. So, well, that's true. <laughs> so. It's too uneven to be the best. The best movie ever ever made. I'm not saying it's the best ever. One of the best movies it's ever one made. One of the best. It's too uneven to be one of the best movies ever made. It is near flawless. Well, it doesn't have spectacular performances from everybody. Uh, I would disagree with you, but it, it's... That's, that's I'm saying everybody. Like, yeah. I'm counting Chekhov, I'm counting fucking Uhura, I'm counting Paul Winfields. I mean, oh, I guess Paul Winfield was okay. What's wrong with Chekhov? He's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But, uh, his ear did get plugged there for sure. He did, yeah, he did. He, he's, he did get, yeah. He did get plugged. He did get plugged. The guy who plays David, what's that guy's name? He was on that episode of TNG that one time as well. Fine. He was fine. What's wrong with him? He's a bit player. He sucks. Oh my god. He doesn't you're, suck. You're, I'm just getting, I'm just riling you up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was he was fine. He was fine, but I'm not saying it's not a great movie. I mean, I love it too. It's still Star Trek. It's not about anything that Star Trek is about. Well, I mean, that's my we, only problem we, we, with it. If I, it was I about, I can't get into it now because then two and a half hours is going to go to five and a half hours because <laughs> we're we're going to have to pick apart the entire movie to do it justice. It's just it's just like the show, just just like the rest of this episode. It's so overwhelming. I don't know where to start and where to finish. About yeah, talking about Star Trek. That's true. So let's finish here. We did our ranking. Actually, there is one more question I have for you that I didn't get to ask. Okay, go ahead. And we'll end on that because Star Trek begins on TV and ends on TV, as you said, so we'll end on TV. Can you tell me what your favorite episode is of all of it? Oh, boy. Oh, my God. It, like somebody's got a ha- gun to your head. you got a hair trigger pointed at your head. What's your favorite Star Trek episode? 
Oh man, Measure of a Man is up there for me. Uh, it's right near the top. I could rewatch that all the time. I love City on the Edge of Forever, as most people do. It's a great episode. I love Amok Time for different reasons. It's just a fun episode to watch. It's so iconic. I forget the episode where you have the 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 in the original series where they have the black uh, the guys were you know, mirrored. They have the the black and the white and the white and the black. Oh uh, yeah. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, yeah. I know the episode. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good episode. Corbinite maneuver. I always like that one. Oh, the Corbinite maneuver is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. How do you? How do I pick? I mean, the best of both worlds. Uh, Inner light. I love uh, family. Is another good one. For yeah. TNG. Yeah. In the pale moonlight for DS9. Oh, good choice. Yep. Um, my God. I mean, how, I, it's impossible. I can't give you one. Okay. No, if all I, good answers. All good if, answers. If, if, if I had to give you one just for my sheer and utter enjoyment, it would be Amok Time. Okay. Just for the sheer iconography of that episode and Shatner versus Spock with that music. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get any better than that. No, iconic is the word for sure. Yeah. yeah. Good call. <laughs> yeah. No, all good answers. Or, uh, or, or what's it called? Oh, the one, the episode with the, the Rom, with the Romulans and Captain Kirk. Or even the Enemy Within, where there's two Captain Kirks. How can I forget these ones? <laughs> enemy Within's pretty good. Which is Captain Kirk? <laughs> Which one? Captain. The Romulans with with uh, Picard, you said? No, no, no. The, in or the Kirk. original series with Kirk. Where he goes, I'll kill you, filthy traitor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> but it's a good episode. Well, they're all good. No, I forget that which one that's called. How can I forget that one? Oh, blasphemy. Oh, my goodness. No, but um, there's so many in DS9, too. Uh, my God. And so many in TNG. It's impossible. Maybe I, I should choose uh, uh, the game, the Wesley episode episode, the Wesley Crusher episode. Where he oh, my the God. <laughs> or no, about, I don't mind that episode, but... Or how about Up the Long Ladder? Does that suit the purpose here? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Even better... Uh, shit, what was that episode? Season one, TNG, I think it's episode three, where they go to that planet. And, and there has to fight that other girl? Yeah, oh, but they're all terrible. black. Yeah, but that's, that's, the, that's an extreme, extremely uncomfortable episode to watch. Oh, 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 not, not just for the racial undertones, but just it's such a dumb episode. Oh, yeah, it's bad on oh, many I've levels. Got, I've got the great greatest episode ever. It's the one with Q. He gives Riker the powers and Wesley gets stabbed to death. Yeah. <laughs> right the, through the back. The animal things. <laughs> <laughs> what is that episode called? You know the best thing about I don't know what it's called, but the best thing is is even after that or before that wharf goes running off towards them <laughs> to take them all on. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> oh, I even like the one wasn't it the pilot or um or one of oh one of the episodes was um Nagilum. Nagilam, that's oh, a season silent, two. That was uh, that's a good one. I like that episode actually. That's, that's a really a, good episode. But yeah. My, but my favorite thing in there is is when he comes. I think Worf jumps to the front and he points the phaser at the screen, <laughs> and like Picard just calmly says, "You know, Worf, you're just gonna shoot the screen." <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, he probably like leaps over the console too, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh man good old war that's a good episode actually i think it's unfairly maligned that episode that's a it good is. episode it's a great episode yeah i i think season two of, of next generation has more good episodes than people remember to be honest it's got a few it's, it's got, got a few. few i like the uh or, I mean, we we're trying to wrap it up and we just keep getting back into it so no, uh, but, but there's so many i mean parallels inner uh inner light uh chain of command 
God, what do you, what do you pick from? All, all the Dominion episodes in DS9. There's a great O'Brien episode in DS9 where he gets sent to jail. Oh, that's a good one, right? man. That's a and, good and episode. Just, it, but it's all implanted in the memory. It's all in his mind, so, right? Yeah. yeah. So he has to live through that. Oh, just, that's oh, it's such a great episode. Yeah. And then we talked about the the Cisco and his son episodes, and and there's a lot of science, great science fiction ones in in DS9 too. Yeah, they did have some really good sci-fi stuff in DS9. I like that one O'Brien episode where he keeps kind of like flashing. Was he keep traveling back to the? He keeps jumping around in time. Was that the one with his daughter? Uh, no, no, not the one with his daughter. Where he keeps he he, he keeps like he keeps uh, no he keeps uh, shooting forward into the future. I think and seeing the future and then getting like pulled back. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. I think I remember. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. What, but that was a, that was a good one. Oh man, there's so many, and there's there's even some good funny ones in DS9 too, like the Magnificent Ferengi. It's a great episode. I love that one. Yeah, where, where the Ferengi go and uh, they have to trade up to get the mom back. But I just love the humor throughout that whole episode. Oh, but there's an, all the ones with Garrick, too, right? I mean, there's another... Even, what is it called? The Dr. B- B- Bashir, I presume. The 007 Bond one. How oh, I, I like that, that one. one? Pocritus yeah. Noah. Yeah, Pocritus Noah. That was a good episode, too. On my island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough to choose. For yeah, sure. the, to the correct choose. answer is Yesterday's Enterprise. But you're right. There's lots of good ones to choose from. So Yesterday's Enterprise is good. I should say that too. It's 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 so up there, so close to the top. But I can't pick a favorite. There's just too many. Okay. Well, we won't we won't belabor it anymore. Uh, uh, we'll we'll settle on the fact that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of fucking incredible episodes of Star Trek. So there is. If you haven't if you haven't seen Star Trek, go see some Star Trek. You will not be disappointed. I will guarantee it. That's all you can really say about it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Exactly. Done. Enough said. All right, so Jeff, what I think that does it for today. What about yep. uh, next time? What do you have in store for us? Okay, so next time, here's what I have in store for us. We have come to the conclusion of another summer blockbuster season, chock-a-block full of sequels and superhero movies. So I'm going to take us back to 1997, uh, 1995, sorry. I'm going to take us back to 1995, to a simpler time of the superhero blockbuster. And we are going to take a look at the forgotten Batman forever. Interesting. Batman forever. Okay. Batman forever. Uh, Maybe what we would normally consider a candidate for the show, but I have my reasons, which we'll, we'll dive into next time. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen that movie in such a long time. So I'm hoping that's, there's good, there's not good reason for that. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well like i say i mean uh, uh it's more of a conceptual idea i think that we want to dive into but again we'll we'll get into that on the next episode so batman forever for next time and yeah this has been fun talking about trek with you man uh, for the millionth time obviously but uh, it was good yes it was fun until next time all right man until next time we'll, we'll see you then all right cheers all right